When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, these may not be the end days, but they'll certainly do until the end days get here. I will say this, man. I am very amazed that you decided to, you know, let, and I hate to bring this up again, but I have to, like, go dead weight from the old show and do this show instead. It's a lot better now. It, it's, it's miles ahead of what it was before. We've only just begun. Is this a human talking? Because you sound like a robot. I am. I'm kind of like a robot. I, I'm not. I wouldn't be mad if you sounded like a robot. I would think that was incredible. Uh, it can go for over a thousand dollars a pound. That's you crazy. really being ripped off. I can get you that much. Well, it, 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 not necessarily. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day. Welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. I am Michael. I am the host and producer of this wonderful program. I look forward to once again serve you those conscious coma-inducing vibrations live and direct right now. I apologize. We're off to a late start here once again. Technical difficulties have plagued the airwaves. The program normally begins on... Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, on the TuneIn Radio app, Search End of Days. First-time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Tonight, joining me here will be two very special souls. First up, James Gesso. James is a public speaker, author, and public educator who pulls apart his psyche and weaving stories out of the process, deeply versed 
In the psychedelic experience, his work draws on the wisdom and insight distilled in facing turbulent reality of his own darkness. He, of course, also has his own program, ATT Mind Radio Podcast. It's on iTunes. Look it up. He, of course, is an author of several books. Very excited to talk to him here tonight. Then after the break, Gary Legere joins us yet again for another update. What is going on with the Mad Martian himself? Many people want to know. We all know Gary has been on the hunt for the truth, weaving through the spider webs of lies. He's been on that hunt for quite some time now. And of course, this is not his first time joining me here. And I'm sure it won't be the last. The Faces of Mars. Is there a cover-up by NASA? We'll find out tonight. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are on a night like this. This is a show about the strange and the unusual. Anything I deem interesting will be discussed. And of course, yes, this is a live call-in show. That means you can call in right now if you want. 760-332-8947. Go ahead and call me there if you choose. Or on Skype. End of days, Mike with the letter Y and not the letter I and Mike. Go ahead and call me there. Or 760-332-8947. The choice is yours. Come on in here before the other souls arrive. Now, once again, close your eyes and imagine me in your bedroom, sitting at the edge of your bed. That's the best way to do it. Get ready for another heartbreaking episode of End of Days. Oh, yes, the dreams continue here on this program as other dreams for others diminish day by day and night by night. The future is all so bright. The universe is on our sides once again, boys and girls. And you found the right place to be on a Saturday night, no doubt. I continue to, of course, manifest myself in many of our listeners' dreams once again. I keep getting those strange emails. Are you people listening to me while you're trying to go to bed? Is that what's going on? Is that why I am appearing in so many dreams all of a sudden? It's getting a little weird. It's always been a little weird for sure. But now it's a little overwhelming. Now, fantastic last show with the great Sue Young. She, of course, is a rising independent wrestler and a pretty big deal here on the show now, as she is the first woman's pro wrestler I've had the privilege to interview. We all wish her the very best in her career. Let me remind all of you that you can go back to endofdaysradio.org to check out any previous show that you might have missed. This show completely depends on its listeners, and of course that means you sitting there right now. I depend on all of you to spread the word. Be a friend and share. Also, please remember, if you have any funny impersonations of myself or other listeners, please feel free to send those in at michaelandofdays at gmail.com. That's michaelandofdays at gmail.com. Send those in there, and I'll play them. I had one maybe a week ago. I don't think I could play that one. I apologize. They sent me a very, very naughty one. I don't think we should get into that. No way. I'm sorry. So yeah, go back to endofdaysradio.org and catch up there. All sorts of great things going on. Oh yeah. By the way, folks, I'm looking at this other 
laptop I have right next to me, and all sorts of things are going off here on Twitter. I shouldn't be looking at this. This thing is distracting me. That's the problem when you have all these monitors and laptops around you, and you have ADD. You don't really know what the hell to look at. You're kind of blinded by all the flashing lights, all the colorful lights in front of you. It's it's pretty overwhelming, of course. I was going to talk a little bit about our new president, but of course I know that angers so many of you out there. I know all of you got to see that whole inauguration. While all of that was happening, of course, there were a number of protests going on. One near the White House turned violent. I'm not sure how you feel about that sort of thing. It's not a, it's never a good situation. I don't, well, at least I don't think so. But maybe you do. I don't know. I don't know. You can tell me if you want. Call in or email me, whatever, whatever you want to do. If that sort of thing tickles you, tickles your pickle. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Now, one thing I do want to quickly mention here of course, is Gary is back on. Yes, that's Gary the Mad Martian. Last time he was here, he kind of offended a, a number of folks out there. So I, I do want to give all of you a, a little warning. Tonight will we'll not be a very, I guess you can say, radio-friendly show. Is that fair to say? There will be some profanity. I think that sort of thing offends Lots of people at home, so of course if you are listening to this program with any young children, tonight will not be the night you want to have them around when things start to pick up here, because we're going to go deep here, and there's a few things that I'm going to share tonight that I didn't think I would ever share, so bear with me, folks. Bear with me indeed. Now, I know whatever, well... I shouldn't say whatever. The the story I am going to tell tonight here, I've been holding it off for quite some time because mostly I'm I'm a little worried about about this one. It seems like anything I say here on this program will be used against me later on somewhere in time. I have a feeling this one will come back to me eventually. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But I'm not worried. I'm not worried at all. I'm used to that sort of thing. So I think I'm going to have to share that story with you. It's not a very good one. It's a very dangerous and reckless story. And I hope all of you out there listening will never do what I did that night. I don't want any of you out there to ever do what I did that night. Seriously. Looking back now, it's probably not my proudest moment. Seriously, that's... It it was not good. I... I endangered, I endangered probably many lives. I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't know. I'm not quite sure. I did make it home in one piece though, I'll tell you that. Oh yeah. So, we'll get into some of that here with our, our guest James Gesso, who I'm sure is probably listening to this right now, so, quick shout out to him. Hello James, how you doing? I hope you're fine out there. And of course, Gary the Mad Martian, who is probably listening to this as well. Hello to you too, sir. I look forward to, to uh, talking to both of you here on this program. And I do apologize to all the listeners once again. I was late, very late. That's because Skype has been crashing on me for some reason. Has Skype been crashing on you too, people? 
Windows 10 users. I don't think I like Windows 10 anymore at all. Everything seems to crash. Does anyone have an answer to that? I, I don't know. But it is quite annoying, especially when you depend on Skype to interview these people out there. Oh my, it's so annoying. And of course, I, I quickly want to say I, I feel terrible about the new developments that have been going on with our friend George Senda out there. It's terrible what happened to him, and I feel I feel pretty bad, actually. I was going to say I don't feel bad at all, but I do actually feel pretty bad. He, of course, is a senior citizen who had really nothing to do, according to George Senda. He has been fired from Coast to Coast AM. Poor guy. I hope he finds a new hobby now. Actually, I don't hope he finds a new hobby now. I, I hope he continues to put out his content out there for the world to see. He's a fun guy. I like George. I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss him on his little segments there. His one minute segments on Coast. Those were fun. And I also need to use the little boys room really quickly here. I apologize folks. This is the first time I've actually had to use the restroom so early. I'm looking at the time here and our guest is gonna come on here in a, in a matter of moments. So please excuse me for one minute as I excuse myself. Be right back. Spirit channeling is what we call it when you go into a trance and empty yourself out. So that the spirit of a dead person can come into your body and speak with all your friends. That sounds scary. Now I'm going to sit in this chair and go into a trance. I want you all to be absolutely quiet. So I can contact the spirit world. Watch. And welcome back to the program. Once again, Skype betrayed me there. I apologize. This thing wanted me to update. And when that happens, everything goes to hell for some reason. But onward we go. Of course, I'm in direct contact now with our first guest. Let's bring him in. James, can you hear me? Oh, I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Uh-oh. Uh, no sound. <laughs> I don't know if this is live. Unfortunate. Oh yes, we are live and uh oh, he can't hear us folks. This is not good. Hold on one second folks here. Let's see what's going on. Uh oh, he's not hearing us folks. Let's see. Let's call him again. Maybe this time it'll work. Hello. James, are you there? I'm still receiving no sound. Oh wow. On my end. That is not good. Still no sound. Nothing. How weird. Hmm, very strange. You should be able to hear me. Yep, folks, that's... Sometimes this sort of thing happens. <laughs> Anything now? Oh, God. Now we can't hear him at all. Very, very sad day. Let's see what happens here. And welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I am joined by our first guest, James Gesso. He's live and direct here. How on earth are you, James? Uh, In a physical body... Um, in a temperature, temperature controlled, um, somewhat cardboard or cookie cuttered house, um, in Ontario. That's how I am on this earth. Wonderful. How's your mood? My mood is fairly good. Uh, it's been, uh, it's been a fairly good day, though the morning was a bit rough because, uh, 
like totally destroyed my normal sleep schedule. <laughs> so this morning was just like <laughs> a little groggy. Where's the coffee? Oh, yes. My apologies, by the way, for switching dates on you. I went through a number of issues that week. However, everything seems to be back to order. Wow, that's good. I'm, I'm snow skin off my back, man. Very cool. Very cool. Now, James, this is your first rodeo here on the program. I'd like to get to know you a bit here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, well, I, I, I'm not really sure how to introduce that. I, I've written, written a few books. I do, I've given several public talks. Um, the main sort of subject matter of what I talk about is, um, psychedelics. Uh, but larger than that, I guess the implications of the psychedelic experience for Self-awareness for society, for relationships, just um, discussing, navigating, conceptualizing, understanding, and living the larger implications of what is revealed to us in altered states of consciousness, and particularly altered states of consciousness uh, that reveal uncomfortable um, material and perhaps where that comes from and how we can move forward in our lives with it and still love life. Indeed. And James, you grew up in Canada. Did you have, I guess you can say, a normal childhood? Uh, it is a, a difficult question to answer because unless somebody has an extreme deviation from the norm, then everyone perceives their childhood to be relatively normal. So I perceive my childhood to be relatively normal. It's the only childhood I've ever had. So I can't really speak outside of that. But if I start to really dive into the nuances of, of how my early childhood experiences unfolded in the larger context um, of that in regards to, I guess, culture, cultural expectations of what is a good life, even sort of um, more um, detached observations of what is or isn't a healthy living environment um, or healthy psychological patterns and people and, and, uh, alt- and also like sort of the this little microculture of my family life, then I would say it's a, it's about as abnormal as most lives. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it really depends. Like on the outside, it would seem that my life was fairly normal, but I guess not. Well, mine wasn't very normal at all, but that, that's a whole nother story indeed. Um, one thing I, I am curious to ask you, James, I'm not sure if you, have really looked into this show subject matter, but we do, or I should say, I should, I should say, um, I talk a lot about, about, about the, um, paranormal, about UFOs, about strange lights in the sky. Did you ever experience any of that growing up? Any lights in the sky? Maybe perhaps some sleep paralysis that you experienced in your adolescence? Hmm. Well, you know, I have experienced Sleep paralysis. I've experienced it a couple times. Um, once, twice, so more than a couple times, a few times. Twice for sure, and they were consciously, um, consciously, uh, with some other, or catalyzed. Like I intended to go to that space in the effort to experience that state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, not that long ago, I had a pretty interesting experience where I was in the house of a person who was smoking 5-MeO-DMT and um, they offered it to me and I just, for whatever reason, I just wasn't feeling like psychically I was comfortable being in that being in that state of mind. I wasn't ready. Um, so I kind of took some space and I went to sleep because uh, I was staying at this person's house and then I, 
I awoke uh, to them standing in the doorway and I was like, is everything okay? And they like stumbled and fell on top of me. And I felt the entire weight of their body on top of me for maybe like six or eight seconds and then woke up to realize that it was, that didn't happen. Um, and it was sleep paralysis. I only added the 5-MeO-DMT thing because the larger context mm-hmm. of it, given that it doesn't happen to me very often, uh, makes for an interesting discussion about the the paranormal possibilities right. or the larger implications for the nature of reality in that moment. Um, when I was younger, I did have um, experiences that I guess were like night terrors and um, and uh, sleep paralysis type experiences. Yeah. Yeah. You see, this and is I have, this is very. I have had experiences uh-huh. um, of of lights in the sky as well that were not planes, were not satellites, were not drones. This was long before drones were a thing, and um, yeah, we're definitely unidentified flying objects. You see, James, the interesting thing is that most people that have these experiences, they always report having some sort of sleep paralysis experience at one time or another. And here we are, here we are talking to you and you have, you have the same thing going on. You've experienced sleep paralysis and you've seen lights in the sky. Mm-hmm. I just think that's sort of a weird connection we all have. What does that mean? Uh, well, there's, a, I don't really know what that means, man. I mean, there's, there's lots of different ways that we could interpret um, that. Yeah. look at that. Yeah. And it kind of depends on the frame in which we're going about it. And in this particular context, I think it would behoove us to be careful not to, um, interject, uh, the determination fallacy of looking for patterns to find justifications to answers. It's going to get into a very slippery place. Sure, it's but always it is, it yeah. is interesting. It's fun to speculate, no doubt. And James, do you remember the first time you consumed the psilocybin mushroom? <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, don't we all? Uh, yes, I do. I was of the ripe old age of fourteen or fifteen, and I was with some buddies at their house, and we played video games. Correction: I was the youngest. They played video games, and I watched. Uh, and at some point we took a walk to, uh, to the convenience store to buy chips and the walk was absolutely incredible except for the experience of being inside of that convenience store. Uh, and then we proceeded to play more video games. There's another interesting story in there too about at some point I had like, I got picked up on my mom who knew nothing about the whole thing, got left at my house and was absolutely terrified and alone and like dying in a little curled up ball sweating a cold sweat until I convinced my friends to um, come pick me up and take me back to safety. Uh, but yeah, so I do I do remember that experience. It was, um, obviously, it was my introduction into the world. And was that through a friend or a family member? Uh, it was through a friend. Through a friend, huh? And do you still talk to this friend today? Uh, no, I don't. No, I don't. Oh, really? Did you have a fallout with this guy? Hmm. Or you no, just grew not really. I mean, I was I was 15 years old, and this is like over a decade ago. And well, James, I, was, um, I I still talk to I still talk to a few people from way back when. I, I just thought perhaps you know once you have that that incredible experience, you might have to keep in check with that person. But then again, you know, times times are are times are are a little different nowadays, as as you know, and of course we grow apart. Yeah, and the other thing too is like that wasn't 
like that was a meaningful experience in a way, but in another way, it, it really wasn't because I had no respect or reverence or capacity to understand what I was getting myself involved with. Of course, you're um, so young. And it was, uh, I mean, it was about as responsible as it could get. I mean, it was, it was me and, and, and three older guys. And one of them was like, uh, like much older, like the older cousin of, um, one of the guys we were with. And he was very experienced and he was there just to like make sure we stayed safe and, um, kind of keep a clear <laughs> adult head, uh, in, in the whole experience. So it was relatively safe, but at the same time, it was like, uh, youthful. And, uh, yeah, I didn't really fall out. It's just things changed. Yeah. Do you remember how much you ate, by the way? I don't really, um, because I was just handed some and said, here, this part's yours. Like, this, this stuff's yours. Oh, my. I was young, and I yeah, was thinking, you, like, yeah. I, I, I didn't make good choices, really. I mean, I don't I think, I don't think most of us made good choices the first time. But, most of the time. By the way, James, <laughs> did you, was this the first, first drug you consumed? Or, or did you smoke uh, pot first? Well, I live in Canada, um, so well. Let me rephrase this. I live in the I live in the Western world. The first drug that I consumed was alcohol. Oh the yes. The second drug that I consumed was tobacco, and I'm not including television. If I include included television, then I'd say television was among the first drugs. Of course. I'd say Tylenol and ibuprofen are also among the first drugs. Sugar <laughs> might have been the first. Um, after all of those, there was cannabis. Um, excuse me. Uh, and it was after cannabis that I, I tried mushrooms and it wasn't until I was in my, wasn't until I was in my early twenties that I started seeing that there was something more serious going on with psychedelics than I had, um, previously understood. Now, James, I got to tell you about my first time trying it. And this is something I mentioned earlier. I, I'm sure I'll, I'll I'm sure I'll hear this story again. It'll come back to me eventually down the road here, but the first time I tried it, I actually ate an eighth of Liberty Caps, and mm. these tasted just like sunflower seeds, and, and they were delicious. And that's the best way I could describe them to everyone out there who's never ingested anything like this in, in how they tasted. And the whole dried-up sunflower seed thing, I think that's that's a kind of a fairly accurate way to describe this specific um species and um it was it was a good time i I didn't think anything badly about it i I recall taking them with with a group of friends of mine and I should mention there was someone in that group that was um I didn't really know him very well, but I didn't really like being around him too much, so of course, after I ate them. I followed my instincts and I left that room. And the the guy I got them from, he's someone who, of course, like you said, is, as you said, someone who was experienced. And this guy liked playing this strange music in a very dark, dark room there. And, and this music wasn't any kind of um, music that I would consider spiritual or appropriate for the the amount of shrooms that we ate. And I, I ate a, a little, a little over an eighth, I would say. And right when things were about to peak for me, I did something really stupid, James. I actually got inside my car and drove. Whoa. Yes. That is not good, folks. L- let me tell you, don't ever do that. Never do what I did there. I completely agree with what he just said. 
Yeah, don't do that. It's just so stupid. So I, I, I drove and I, I drove myself to a place called Del Taco, James, and I ate chicken tacos and everyone was looking at me very strangely, probably because my eyes were just, you could just tell I was on something, James. I'd look like a man possessed. And luckily though, luckily I, I sat there for a while and I wrote it out and I drove home. Luckily I didn't live too far away and I made it home in one piece. And of course that is completely dangerous to do. Once again, don't do that folks. Yeah. It's amazing how, um, a culture of prohibition and the suppression of education and the indoctrination of not only miseducation, but dangerous miseducation can create very dangerous and irresponsible behavior when people ultimately reached the very same cookie jar that they were barred from putting their hands in. Very true. Very true. And speaking of which, we should, we should definitely talk a little bit about the dangers of these, these substances, even though there's lots of beneficial um, factors in, indeed. However, like I said, you, you shouldn't take, take any kind of mind altering substance and get behind the vehicle. That is just wrong. Have you ever done anything of that nature or anything close to that nature, James, while under the influence of these substances? No. Okay. No. You're smart then. I, uh, Good. I remember having, um, an experience while I was at a festival in Australia where I had, um, I had taken some LSD and, you know, it was like, quote, wasn't working, so took some more. And then we sat by the chill stage and um, we rolled this really nice spliff. And um, about 20 seconds after the spliff was done, I was so overwhelmed um, with the consequences, the, the psychic consequences of um, of somewhat recklessly consuming more than my psyche could handle. Um, and became very frightened. And my friend who I was with was like, my knight in shining armor got me out of the festival area, um, took me to a, uh, took me back to camp and we got in the car because it was cold as hell outside. And, uh, I remember us both having the vision of how horrible, you know, like the news reports, the aftermath. Of, um, of, of what would happen if we were to drive the car. Oh my. And I remember us explicitly talking about it and realizing like, wow, we really should not do that. There is, so we made the agreement that no matter what happens from that point on, like the one person would not convince the other person to drive. Like there would be nothing to convince. So we made that pact beforehand and then sort of like, put the keys in a safe place. And then at some point during um, us in there, we decided like maybe we should, you know, put the keys in the ignition and like turn on the radio or the heater or something. Right. And it was like, yeah, this is, this is a good idea. And we kind of agreed. And then like, as we were reaching into the space where we had the keys, we both looked at each other and we just like telepathically knew, mm-hmm. like, no, <laughs> no, this, it's like as soon as yes. we started, we opened up the center console to reach for the keys, it's like both of us had visions of us like driving away over tents and, and so it was just like, no, like close the center console and just continue to shiver in silence. That's hilarious. I wish I had someone 
to do that for me, but everyone in that group I, I, that I was with, they ate more than what I did. And from what I remember, that guy that I didn't like in the group, he actually, he actually ended up crying later on that night. I assume he had what is called a bad trip. Well, I mean, that, that's really depends because possibly he's crying because he's overwhelmed and he's frightened and right. he's mm-hmm. in a room full of people that aren't responsible, like response able to support him and he feels horribly alone and, and, um, and has a total breakdown and it's a experience of anxiety and an experience of, of, uh, being broken down without feeling like you could be pulled back together or held, held in your, in, in your vulnerability. In which case it could very well be a bad trip in the sense that it is a trip that produced high levels of anxiety with, uh, and, and not being able to walk forward in your life from. But possibly, and, and the, the way that you kind of like laid out the context would mm-hmm. lead one to assume that pro- that was probably, um, probably more likely the case than this next example, which is that maybe he came to recognize that um, there was a deep amount of sadness or grief inside of him from, right. uh, you know, having lost a loved one or, or what have you, or maybe he feels very alone and, and that this crying was a, was a physiological process of metabolizing repressed and, um, and, and hidden grief stresses from perhaps his childhood, perhaps his current life, coming to terms with the heavy emotional complexity of, of his current life, or maybe even going so far as to be crying beyond himself, crying for the truth of, mm-hmm. uh, and, and suffering of his whole family, of maybe, you know, generations of entire masses of people, the world itself, like quite likely this could also be a thing that one cries for. And if such an experience is held in a way that it can be contextualized later, and that is to say, like, it's held in a sense of trust and surrender, either in one's nervous system or in a, in a sense of divine, if that's the thing that a person has in their toolbox, or trust in the other people holding the space, then such an experience might come out the other end and, and have been extremely uncomfortable, but perhaps one of the most good experiences you've ever had. Indeed, so, yeah. I, I, I am one that's definitely, um, I feel strongly about the power of, of, of psychedelics to bring us to terms with the things that we otherwise are too afraid to acknowledge we're afraid of. Yeah, or we suppress, and, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's interesting because these, let me use um, marijuana, for example. It's a mild hallucinogen, and even that can cause people to have that whole bad trip where people say, you know, I, I started thinking about this or that, and the anxiety started building up, and it felt like the walls were closing in on me. You know, we we hear all these kind of experiences, of course, and that's when, when people were taking these large amounts of, of cannabis and maybe they're not so used to it and um this can really trigger someone's someone's mind there to um get i guess you can say you can have their their mind flooded with, with these negative thoughts and sometimes like i said these these bad trips aren't exactly bad trips and i've talked about this on the program a long time ago before um, usually if I have a quote unquote bad trip, that's usually something inside me telling me I need to correct something. 
but most people don't don't take that they don't take that sort of experience away from their their own experience rather they don't really see it that way they don't have that perception of perhaps a bad trip isn't exactly a quote unquote bad trip mm. well this i believe is also just an extension of that uh, comment i made earlier about um miseducation because right. when you tell a group of people you say you tell a group of kids that an action is bad it is fundamentally bad yeah and then you take these kids now adults and say that the action that you told them is fundamentally bad that even if they uh, at some point they have come to recognize that you know there were lies behind that education and yada yada there's still going to be this subconscious loyalty to the authority in a way and perhaps there's even a, a, a fundamental lacking of understanding beyond these things being more than bad. So I, what I mean by subconscious um, loyalty is that now that they start to use the substance, they'll use the substance in a way that supports a bad narrative. And so the narrative, uh, sorry, the, the use might produce, quote, bad results, right? It, it would be things where it's like, well, you know, drugs are bad, so I might as well not bother being a good person or be safe or make responsible decisions, you know. And then we as a whole culture suffer the consequences because of the people who are educating the next group of people who are looking, you know, like who are the gatekeepers of the psychedelic experience. Oftentimes the gatekeepers are drug dealers and like drug dealers aren't necessarily, sh they're not shamans, <laughs> you know. They don't necessarily have... Right. Um, have the wisdom to, to, to depart, or maybe it's like, um, you know, kids teaching themselves. And I, I, I it, you can see how this can become very problematic and um, create things like taking too much yeah. or putting yourself in an environment that's just really not conducive. I remember I had a, a, before I'd ever taken mushrooms, I had a, a girlfriend. We were going to take them together. This is obviously in my early teenage years. And, and um, she was like, pretty dead set on taking them and she wanted to take them at a party with some friends, like have a bunch of friends over and then everybody watched Requiem for a Dream, which is a very interesting and disturbing movie about very heroin addiction, well addiction in general that's uh, based on a book by a guy named Hubert Shelby Jr. I believe and um, I had seen this movie and you know what, actually this was after I took Mushrooms that she wanted to do this for her first time mm -hmm. and I said to her, I'm like, I don't think you should do that she hadn't seen the movie and she hadn't, um, she hadn't tried the substance. I was like, I really don't think you should do that. I think that's like, I think that's a really bad idea. Um, but, uh, she, she, you know, she was dead set on it in a way. So, but this is the type of thing where it's like, it's kids teaching kids. Yeah. And it's, mm -hmm. it's people who got bad information passing it along to the next generation and it, and it, it creates casualties either literally with death or like, psychically um, in the sense of experiences that, that traumatize people and, and change people, which trauma eventually due to the cost of trauma, which is an ongoing and overmounted stress response, degenerative disease, you know, later in life. So, and, and the, the call, to me, the call towards substance, the call towards being outside of yourself, right? The call, and this is something that stands off grasses, the call to ecstasy, and I mean like ecstasis to be outside of yourself, not necessarily the, you know, the, the street drug. Mm -hmm. It's a natural biological drive as natural as sexuality. So it's like the whole 
dare to say no to sex. Like, look at how good abstinence-only sex education works for, uh, you know, sexually transmitted infections and, and, and teenage pregnancies. You know? The same can be said about um, the dare, uh, just say no to drugs, um, education of drugs are bad and okay. Oh, my, it, yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't work. It didn't but, work. Yeah. But there are, there are real dangers. But you can't, if you're only ever given, like, the the it's bad narrative and never given discussion on how to use them responsibly, then you won't know how to use them responsibly and you'll make you'll just you'll end up making bad choices. True. And going back to Australia and that festival you were at, um that wasn't the first time you took L S D, correct? No, it wasn't. Okay. I'm just curious. Now I, I'm just wondering, what exactly is the the strongest drug you've taken? Psychedelic um, drug, that is. Yeah, like this this is very difficult because like what what denotes its strength? Is it the um, potency by weight? Um, is it the level of um, dissociation from my normal state of consciousness? Um, is it the long term effects on my sense of self? And sense of reality. So, in that sense, like for each each one of those um, different, say, um, references, like different um, guiding factors, I, I could answer. I could answer differently. Okay, let's say dimethyltryptamine. Have you ever taken that? I have had it in the form of ayahuasca, and mm-hmm. um, I have had it in the form of acacia and changa, and I've also had it in the form of um, Crystal, which was like a beautiful offering. Um, all of these things are like somehow beautiful offerings over the time in my life. And I think your your focus on um, on the dangers is something to be said because like as we're having this conversation, you're asking me these questions. It, it might become very um, might become very easy for a listener to misinterpret what I'm saying and sort of like list like I'm, I'm listing things off like I've notches in my belt each one of those things had a profound effect on me um but the some of them I paid a high price for of course and, yes. um, I, I don't mean cost-wise I mean psychically of and course, the quality yeah. of life and um and uh, I still highly honor the value in those things but I'm also um increasingly less likely to want to go there you know um because there's one thing that the psychedelics have continued to teach me, and, and I'll quote a, quote a friend and colleague of mine, is that an ordinary life is an extraordinary experience. Oh, yes, definitely. Instead of trying to, you know, going into that sort of thing, let, let's talk a little bit more about the positives here. Of course, a lot of these hallucinogens, various ones, of course, these are now reported treat treat uh, many other things like anxiety and OCD and PTSD and I think even MDMA is actually given to people with PTSD as well. I wish there was more study on that. I wish we could fix a few people that have these these very traumatic experiences. Do you think that we'll ever see that day where it's kind of the norm? Uh, yeah, I, I really do. I mean, post-traumatic stress disorder is, is, um, post-traumatic stress disorder and, um, depression are sort of like the, the mental plagues of our civilization. And 
both of those conditions have um, they've found reasonable evidence that uh, that psychedelics can provide long-term effective treatment um, in a very limited session and without ongoing um, prescription. And uh, so, yes, I, I definitely think we do. I mean, I, I've recently heard in, in, in private dialogue that um, that uh, there's some important, I can't say too much, but important um, meetings and document signings and potentials opening up um, for psilocybin right now in deepening the research, which is the active component in, in magic mushrooms. And um, also with PTSD and MDMA, it's, it's huge. They're, they're, they're in this right now. They're leading towards their, um, their phase three studies in, I believe in, in Canada. They, at least they just finished phase two and then they're going into phase three in the United States through an organization called MAPS, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Study, which means that soon, um, we're looking at it as being a legitimate, like legally, legislatively legitimate medicine. And um, there's already various courses that are being offered across North America for training therapists on how to provide psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy sessions for things like depression and, and PTSD. I, I, I really genuinely believe we're probably less than a decade away from seeing that as a, seeing that as a reality. Um, I think with, uh, with MDMA probably sooner than with, um, psilocybin. And, uh, and I think this is, I think this is a great, I think it's a great step forward for, for our civilization. I think so too. Hopefully, hopefully that goes down in the way we want it to. It'd be great to fix these people up mentally. Your mental health is very important, I, I always say. Mm-hmm. And even like trying to sell it to the, you know, sell it to the corporate you know, it's like, hey, you know, if you're uh, if your employee is happier and more like spiritually nourished by their life, they're more productive. <laughs> very, very they true. Will, they will produce harder work for you. Yeah. And they'll be enlightened. And that's how I felt after my experience. I, I was enlightened. And at one time I felt extremely um, telepathic almost to to a certain degree. Under the under the influence of the psychedelic mushrooms. Yeah, telepathy. Do you ever feel that way, James? Uh, as well. Yeah, paranormal for sure, and um, seemingly extraordinary in the mushroom state. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of the extraterrestrial theory, the mushroom extraterrestrial theory? I believe. Uh, are you? I, I think Terrence McKenna okay. talked about that before. As in, like, the mushroom consciousness is the yeah. intergalactic, mm-hmm. uh, like, consciousness entity? Yes. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard the theory and I'm familiar. Is that, do you like I believe that? that? Is that is cool? He, I believe that's what he wrote um, as the foreword to the book, him and his brother Dennis, um, they had wrote under um, pseudonyms on how to grow mushrooms in a home cultivation. As far as I understand, Terrence and Dennis McKenna are responsible for the um, for the readily available source of mushrooms that we all know and love now. Because Word. before that, they were extremely difficult to cultivate, and, and those guys figured it out and taught the world. 
or at least taught the subculture, which would then echo out. So yeah, I'm I'm familiar with the I'm familiar with the theory. I'm I'm not really I don't really like vibe super strong on it, other than oh, okay. um, with with respect with respect to the to Terrence um, for all the work that he did and, no doubt, and yes. the incredible ideas that he um, he put forth in the world. Some really on point with how to live your life. Others super wild. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> like at least interesting. Um, yeah. I, I personally like, um, if we're going to talk about inter, intergalactic mushrooms, uh, I personally like the ideas of uh, mushrooms having been brought to this planet by asteroids and looking at that more, even materialistically, it's quite interesting to think about life on this planet does not exist as we know it today without the, excuse me, the fungal kingdom, the very essence of our forest thrive by way of the mycelial networks in the forest floor helping to maintain the dynamic balance of the forest as a whole so that it can, like, breathe the planet. So um, that in and of itself becomes very, very interesting without even having to take it to a, to a more metaphysical, or not metaphysical, but, like, paranormal discussion. Yeah, for sure. But I, I did want to ask you a little bit about your, your radio show before I forget. You, you have your own podcast. And uh, speaking of McKenna, have you ever talked to Dennis, his Terrence's brother? Uh, no, I've never had direct dialogue with Dennis. Um, the podcast ATT Mind Radio at Mind Radio, uh, I haven't. Now I started the podcast in 2015, and uh, it was a slow start. As I, I like to think of what I'm doing here as I'm not really following anyone else's path, but I, I, you know, I hear, I hear whispers in the forest as I hack my way through somewhat haphazardly and try to sort out what, uh, the magical items that I pick up along the way. Uh, and, um, I was traveling, teaching across Europe and Australia and, and even across Canada for the better part, like about eight months of, of 2016. And so the podcast was coming out pretty seldomly. Um, it was just once a month. So, I am very interested in interviewing Dennis, um, and that's on the list. I sure. actually actually have interviewed um, Dennis um, several years back, and I wanted to bring him on again. I'll, I'll definitely tell him to do an interview with you. That would be incredible. For me, what I'd really like is to, because is, is as you probably are aware in, in running a podcast, um, or radio show, there's a lot of like background research that needs to go in to really feel prepared to ask a question. Oh yeah. And so, um, the biggest thing for me is if I interview Dennis, who in my mind is like, he's really up there as, as one of the most important thinkers. Oh, um, yes, that he is. For, mm-hmm. for, for the, for the planet right now, um, but in particular to psychedelic culture, I don't want to ask him the same questions that he's answered on other shows. So. Um, at least not not other than the obligatory <laughs> the obligatory ones to get the conversation rolling. Just so. have a conversation with them. That's all. Don't even have to worry about the whole interview structure. Just go with the flow with him, and I I think you'll find everything you'll need. He he's he's really good. Yeah, I don't I don't doubt that. I've 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 watched many of his talks. Oh yeah, you don't you won't even have to structure a whole interview of that sort. You could just talk to him about anything. Um, Dennis is is a fascinating character, I'd say, a very mm. a very important yeah, character. Well, what, what, go ahead. 
Oh no, I'm, I'm just saying he in, in fact is a, a very important character in the whole psychedelic scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd like to, I'd like, I could totally get that with conversation. All of my podcasts um, lean towards a conversational style, but uh, for myself, it's not like a rigid interview style so much as mm-hmm. I feel like the conversations are better if before I go in, I really have an idea of the mind that I'm interacting with. And so there's a, a lot of um, research that I like to put in. And that's what's exciting for me because it's like, ooh, I get to dive deep into somebody's life work. That's and interesting. Yeah. brains about it for the public record. <laughs> by, by the way, James, this show, what it, what actually inspired you to do your own program? Um. In, oh, you mean at mine radio? Yeah, did you always like doing, I mean, did you, were you like a fan of radio beforehand? Uh, well, I was a fan of podcasts. I would say that my, um, I was a fan of radio when I was a kid, but that's different. I would listen to this program called Lovers and Other Strangers, which was like the early 90s and it was all like slow. What's that? Early 90s romance music with a guy that told poetry, talk, talk poetry in deep tones. Oh my. It was, it was good. I'm like, anyways, that's a little, little baby James, but, uh, That's okay. I was really into podcasts and I found myself increasingly more inspired by people who were talking to these incredible minds and, and, and the meeting of the minds and capturing it for the public record. And I've always felt like conversation is, um, it's a gift, like a, a the skill set in conversation and languaging is a, is a gift that I was offered in life and I'd like to tend to. And um, one of the ways that I felt um, I could t- tend to it was by starting a podcast. So I um, I put about two years of humming and hawing and building ideas around what I wanted it to be uh, while working on other projects. And then all of a sudden, the space opened up and uh, making AppMind Radio fit perfectly into that priority zone. And I've been increasingly more dedicated to making it the best that it can be. I feel like it really nourishes and inspires me, and I've gotten a lot of really good feedback. That's probably a, a similar story for yourself, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Good show. I want other people to get in there and check out some of your episodes. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm actually um, just about to... I, oh, well, this live. I don't know when this is released, but but, uh, but my first episode of 2017 will mark a consistent episode release um, schedule every other week and it goes out on the 27th of January and it's actually a recording of a talk that was given in Calgary for the Psychedelic um, Society of Calgary and it's uh, myself and two other presenters and we're discussing trauma, how trauma is formed, um, the sort of like discussions around um, the effect of trauma psychologically, physically and then what the resolution of trauma looks like and the role psychedelics can play in that resolution. So I'm looking, really looking forward to getting that out next or this, this coming Friday. Very nice. Are there any specific, are there any one specific episode I should say that you would suggest a new, a new listener, a new, a new pair of uh, ears to tune into? I, I wouldn't have one to recommend because I cover a pretty, um, it's not so diverse that there isn't a sense of continuity and consistency to it. 
But it really depends. I mean, I, I have stuff that's blatantly about psychedelics. I have stuff that's about the nature of consciousness. I have stuff that's about sexuality, stuff that's about like psychology and emotions and emotional intelligence. And then stuff that's about, I have an episode about cognitive enhancers um, and episodes about permaculture, episodes about dance psychology. So it's like, it's really just get into the, go into the iTunes page. It's the best place to see all the different topics or get onto my, um, get onto my website and just scroll through the archives and click on something that interests you. By the way, these pills that we see time and time again for cognitive function, are these pills legit, James, in your opinion? Uh, well, it really, it really depends on, on what you're, on what you're talking about. Cause like oftentimes we are, we are in a world right now where we have to be really careful about what we're being sold because sometimes what we're being sold is a load of shit. Um, yes. And sometimes what we're being sold is, um, really amazing, like really amazing concepts and possibilities from plants that are poor, like, for example, plants or extracts that are poorly formulated, poorly sourced. So it's just like, it's very difficult. Um, also, it's like, are we talking about whole plants? Are we talking about plant extracts? Are we talking about amino acids? Are we talking about nutritional supplements or uh, nutraceuticals? Are we going into the unscheduled domain of hard cognitive enhancements? Are we talking off-label use of prescription stimulants? Are we talking the Rastans, the Ampokines, the microdose psychedelics? Like there's this, there's a really like broad range. There's a broad, broad range to go into. Um, but uh, for myself, I've noticed there, there are definitely a few things that that's, that stand to uh, walk the walk. Um, but most things, um, I guess all things, there's a, there's a price to be paid for trying to use a chemical to make your brain work in a certain way. Yeah, because you, you, you find all these pills that, um, I guess you could say GMC also sells these pills as well. There, there's all sorts of different brain function booster type pills out there in the market. And I always wonder, are these things actually legit? And that's kind of why I brought it up. But yeah. Um, some of them are, man. <laughs> yeah. Holy Christ. Some of them are. <laughs> there's a lot out there. There's a lot. And these are nootropics, right? Well, nootropics are sort of like, um, nootropics itself is a, is a, is a term that references, um, uh, We'll just say, for lack of a better term, a drug or substance that matches a certain set of characteristics. But nootropic sort of like colloquially is sort of thrown around at a lot of things that wouldn't actually be classified as a nootropic, um, but are cognitive enhancers in, in some way or another. Uh, I could even say, like for myself, there there is reasonable um, in my experimentation. I've, I've found that there are some products that do really really work. Like there's a product called Siltep, which stands for chemically induced long term potential. I have I have no in any way I have no like business or financial arrangement with these people at all. I paid I paid yeah. money to try out their product, um, and uh, I won't mention the ones that I paid the money for, and it was like a waste of my money. Um, but Siltep, chemically induced long-term potentiation, definitely gives you a very incredible boost, but I pay the price if I don't sleep 10-plus hours that next night um, for the whole next day. Um, I've, I've, ex I've experimented with things like modafinil and, um, that is definitely, 
there's a reason why there's a hype around that one. But again, there's a price to be paid. Um, there's a, there's a, there's another company. It's actually the company of the man who I had on my show to talk about cognitive enhancers, Axon Labs, and it's like axonlabs.io or something. And he, he sells some products called Nexus and Mitogen. And uh, I actually haven't, I haven't taken these, so it's like, like hearsay in a way, but um, he's probably like one of the most legit humans I know of that are representing good quality information. He runs a podcast called Smart Drug Smarts, and the reviews right now and some of the people I know that have tried his products have stated that it's like it really works. Um, but the greatest cognitive enhancer by far is good sleep, uh, a clean diet, and self-discipline. <laughs> and a little bit of cannabis. Oh, yeah. I and, and emotional loud. stability if, if, you can, if you can get into that. But it's just a, such a broad topic. Um, there are so many different uh, ways to the top of the mountain. Yeah, I just, I, I, I remember, uh, what was it, a couple years back, maybe three, four, five years ago, I'm not sure, there was a very popular pill on the market, very popular pill. I don't want to mention their name, but it starts with the letter O in it. It's a very, very popular pill. Actually, I would just say the first word, on, the, that's the very first word. I'm not sure if you're picking up on it, but... Is it, is it, is it the, is it the one that, um, uh, is it the one that is headed by two gentlemen, one of which is very popular mm-hmm. for a number of reasons? Mm-hmm. Yes, that one, yes. Yeah, I've tried this product as well. I have tried it too, and I thought it was trash. Um, I felt like it was a reasonable product that was too really? expensive you for what so? it offered by and far. Um, if it were like about half that price, sure. But it definitely didn't for me offer the the bang for the amount of buck that I I think I'd rather eat edibles and go to sleep, (laughs) but that's just me. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is like different things work for different people. I know some people that swear by that stuff. So it's all about, um, it's all about what works for the person. Every body is different and every brain like the reason we have trouble focusing or whatever it is, the reason we have trouble achieving the task that we set forth for ourselves, there's so many different possible reasons. And sometimes the hack to get beyond that is pharmacological assistance. Other times it's um, it's like sh- like shifting your diet. Other times it's shifting the time of the day that you do it. Other times it's recognizing that the impetus behind why you're trying to do it might actually be a a compensational defense pattern for some deep other issues that are happening in your life. And so that's why you can't achieve it because focusing on it distracts you from the suffering. So it's like, there's all sorts of different, um, different things. Like with all health supplements, like people need to be careful. I would actually, I would go on a record to, to support and promote a website, um, that's totally free. I mean, they have stuff you can buy, I think. Um, but they're a website called examine.com. And you can go there and basically any herb or herbal supplement that you can think of, they have on there. And it's like a little online encyclopedia for all of what the scientific data and research says um, and how it works and what it does. And then they talk about what the claims are. And then they'll reference like these are the claims. This is what the research shows. There's like it's like moderately achieves the claims or like it actually doesn't achieve the claims or yes, does achieve the claims, but only if you take this amount and these blah, blah, blah. 
So this is, if you're looking for, um, if your listeners out there are looking to get serious about investing in say, herbs and herbal support, which I think is a much better choice I agree. than going towards um, mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals, whether they be off-label or whether they be from China or whatever, um, then examine's a good place to go there to get serious and to figure out what works so that you're not wasting your money on hype marketing um, in the herbal world. Yeah, that's that's another one, the hype. And the placebo effect, that's something that always crosses my mind when I think about these popular pills and the people who push them. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, uh, well, I mean, it's a hard world out there. We live, we live in a yeah. capitalistic, uh, we live in a capitalistic economy. So it's like we need to sell to eat. You know, if we're not working to earn our labor wage, then we have to do something. And sometimes that creates a lot of distorted behaviors. No and the doubt. placebo effect falls apart eventually. If it's just placebo, eventually it's going to stop working and people will be upset. The legitimate products will last a long time. The stuff that is hype marketing will just be like here today, gone tomorrow. It's yeah, and I, unfortunate to see people lose money and even lose their lives um, because of investing in those things for say, health purposes when they're just a passing fad. By the way, James, I forgot to ask you this question. How do your parents feel about all this are they worried that you are taking these drugs? Are they concerned about your mental health? What have they told you, James? My parents are incredibly open, loving, supportive, brilliant people. Um, they have been, they have gone through the ringer with me. <laughs> oh, that's good. Really well, God bless them. The ringer yes. with me. And they have um, continued to love and support me. And, um, even at the times when I was making a mess of myself. Uh, and I believe from their direct words and also in interpreting their behavior, they love and support me. And this whole thing was new to all of to them completely. They both grew up in an era where the drug use that they saw was the drug use that killed their friends, basically, so um, and destroyed families. And so this was all this was all brand new and very frightening for them. And they see that I'm like, I'm not like a, I'm not an addict. I've got my head on straight. I'm, I have a professional career around this topic. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. and I live a responsible, good life I'm, as a good person. I've got my, I've, I've got my, despite what it might appear as I talk about these things here and the books that I write and yada, yada, it's like, Nobody becomes perfect. <laughs> you know, the enlightenment moment is a passing one, and then you're back to being human in the shit again with everyone else. Correct. Yeah. But, um, but no, they they love and and support me, and and as as challenged as they are, um, oftentimes they are also they're reasonable people. So if something makes sense, then they go for it, and they've they've really opened their minds a lot of the last few years, and I'm really lucky to have them as parents. That's very nice. Yeah, lots of parents out there don't always support their son or daughters. I mean, a couple nights or a couple weeks ago, I talked to one gentleman who has a show like ours. Um, He revealed to me here that his father wasn't very supportive of him and his activities and the things he loves. And I kind of felt a little bad about that. I always thought, well, I, I don't, I never had that in my life. My parents always loved and supported all my crazy and wild ideas. And um, that, that really made me think about a few things. And I thought, my God, my parents are amazing. Yeah. I mean, my parents didn't always support, support my wild and crazy ideas. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I fought, I fought tooth and nail for my, 
my identity and the life that I live. But I, I fought, I fought tooth and nail for it in a way that was always, um, with the mentality of like, we're in this together. And I think that they understood that too. And it's been a journey of tolerance for all of us, you know, in, in, in the family here. It's like, yeah, you know, when I was, when I was 15, 16, they were unreasonable tyrants, right? But when I was 15, 16, I was an unreasonable little asshole. There you so, go. <laughs> you know, as, as we've gotten out. older, as I've matured and, and they've continued to mature, because, like, don't doubt yourself <laughs> out there, listeners, your parents are still maturing, despite the fact that some of them might assume that they're already there. You know, we're all still maturing together, and in doing so, we've, we've really learned to increasingly more so become tolerant. But we're a family, like, Shit still comes up. Like nobody's perfect. Of course, yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about your books here now. Um, Decomposing the Shadow: Lessons from the Psilocybin Mushroom. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that book, James? Yeah. So, Decomposing the Shadow is um, it is the product of um, of me having the revelation that I needed to share the paradigm by which I was engaging with psilocybin mushrooms with the world because at the time I felt as though the perspective I had earned and the language in which I had, um, I had cultivated to like the, the rhetoric around what this, what this philosophy is or the paradigm, sorry. Um, it felt like it needed to be shared because the mentality, we talked earlier about the miseducation around drugs, the miseducation around mushrooms Correct. was, at, at the very least, blocking people from truly gaining um, the the wealth of, of of benefit that they can offer, and at worst, it was hurting people. And so I felt like I I was on a mission. I was on a mission to produce this text that anyone could pick up: the deepest psychonaut, the, the weekend raver, the um, the concerned mom, you know, and and get to the end of it and feel like they have a good foundation for walking into the world with um, walking. Let me think of a different way to put this, a good foundation for building a mature relationship with psilocybin. And with that, a mature relationship with how we relate to our emotions, because one of the greatest lessons I gain from working with psilocybin was that was the revelation that this all that I was experiencing was emergent material from within, and so everything that was uncomfortable, everything that was joyful, everything that came from the side, all of those things were in me, and so it was an experience of emotional honesty. And though I I don't often feel like I'm tripping on mushrooms when I'm walking down the street um, on a normal day. On a normal day walking down the street, I still have emotions and I still may have emotional reactions. And so that same, um, the lessons that could be garnered in the psilocybin experience are ones that I could carry forth into my whole life. And I wanted to offer that. So that's what decomposing the shadow is, is, is offering a, an essay style, intellectually driven, almost like textbooky, almost like a textbook, um, but not with all like, cross-referencing and index and stuff, but uh, yeah, like, a, I'm sorry for this next phrase, please don't judge the book based on <laughs> saying it, but it's kind of almost like a, like a self-help starter's guide to psilocybin mushrooms that goes beyond what a lot of 
the text time that I had access to were saying, um, which is like the history, the practice, the subject, like possible subjective effects and goes into like building a, what I still believe is, as a, as a complete foundation for a philosophical approach to working with psilocybin as allies in the development of our own psycho-spiritual maturity, which is a process by which we come to know ourselves in our light and in our darkness and to walk forward into the world with that self-knowledge and um, be there with that in presence as we relate to the world around us and you know, the people and yada, yada, yada. So that's that's what decomposing the shadow is about. Psilocybin mushroom brings uh, for sure unconscious material to light, no doubt. And that segues to your next book, The True Light of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, before moving into this one, I, w- I would say that um, I want to be clear that I don't believe that tr- that decomposing the shadow is the book on the psilocybin experience. Understood. But it's a yes. book mm-hmm. on a set of potentials that they offered. It is still a wild, exciting frontier of new ideas and new possibilities emerging. Um, so the true light of darkness was me recognizing that, uh, well, I was exploring different writing styles, but it was me recognizing that decomposing the shadow, as great as the responses had been, I knew that it wasn't a book for everybody and that it's dense um, language style. Like every every sentence, in decomposing the shadow is perfectly constructed to say exactly what I wanted it to say. The entire book was pulled apart somewhat violently oh by a person um, with a deep and long history in etymology, neuroling- not neurolinguistic programming, um, uh, free man on the land, sort of royal admiralty law language and like a, a deep, a deep history in like, Reading, oh, and, and, um, the trivium and philosophical argument. And he, he pulled it apart with me and helped me piece it back together. So for some people, that type of dense, um, sort of language doesn't really fit with them. Neither does the whole like talking about a concept really fit with them. And I wanted to, I wanted to continue my journey as a writer and I wanted to offer what I felt was the other part of decomposing the shadow because decomposing the shadow is the concept, the idea, the skeleton, you know, the philosophical discussion about the thing. It's very objective. Where the true light of darkness was an opportunity for me to share what I felt was the subjective. It was to go into my personal story because I don't go into my personal story in decomposing the shadow except in the introduction. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the true light of darkness was a way to offer this same premise that I just said before that decomposing the shadow was intended to offer, but to do so in a way that um, guides us to it in story rather than in facts and concepts. Because I really um, believe that if I can just, I stand up there with a bullet point and a PowerPoint presentation and just like deliver my research paper, I can engage you intellectually, which is incredible, but it is in story and vulnerable honesty, um, and yeah, it's not that. always it's not always going to connect that way either. What's that? I said sometimes that won't always connect with the person that's um, watching this thing. Exactly, and so in story and in vulnerable honesty, I felt like I could I could connect at a heart level, which I, I mean figurative heart level, but mm-hmm. uh, and and share more, 
share the other side, which is like about more than talking about the potential. Here's what it was like for me, and here's what I gained out of it. And um, sort of like a a play-by-play in a way, but um, not exactly by describing it that way. I don't think it sounds super exciting. I do uh, I do consider it to be I, one of my greatest accomplishments. I, I really like the artwork, by the way, for The True Light of Darkness. It, it's really nice. Yeah, the woman that designed it, her name is Shannon Reinhold. She's an artist and a graphic designer out of Calgary. Um, if any of your listeners is like, whoa, I want to hire her for a job, um, you can contact me through my website, contact form. I would happily pass you along. She's kind of a person. Yeah, it's really good, actually. I was looking at it for a long, a, a crazy amount of time, actually, just staring at the design. Mm-hmm. What exactly is it? Oh, yeah, I guess I didn't get that. Yeah, you didn't, uh, it's, yeah. It's three stories um, of my experiences utilizing mushrooms in the fashion in which it's presented in Decomposing in the Shadow. And uh, each one of the three stories progresses in darkness and complexity. Um, the complexity of the narrative style, which you'll see as you read it, but then also the complexity of the insights offered. And it progresses in darkness, literally, because the first experience the first story is me with a couple of friends in the daytime, and the third story is me in a sensory isolation tank, but also figuratively because the, you know, this, I don't think this is a term I use in the book, but to just like put a nice little spin onto the demons that I face get darker and larger with each story as it progresses mm. as well. I see. And I felt like um, in telling those stories, I, I kind of like illuminate, like I literally shine a light, the light of awareness, like it's not literally, but I shine a light of awareness on um, on how dark things can get and how beautiful what can be taken home from that can be. And that's why I called it the, the True Light of Darkness. Very nice. And, of course, that's truelightofdarkness.com if anyone wants to check that out. And for sure, I'll, I'll have to get myself a copy of that. I was sucked that's in with it. that cover art. You know, I'm a sucker for, for art. Yeah, me too. If you could only see the, like, little space that I'm in right now, it's like a... You're it's filled like a psychedelic trip just looking at oh the wall my. in my space. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely like that for sure. And of course, uh, um, James, do you have any conferences or, or any kind of events that you'll be attending soon here in the near future? Uh, not in the near future, no. Right now I'm focusing really heavily on making the podcast the best that it can be. Uh, and, uh, also working on some other writing projects. And I just toured for eight months. And I'm really stoked on doing very little, <laughs> very little for the oh, next for a while. Yes. Uh, at least very little on the outside, like staying in my office, staying focused on my projects. Um, I am uh, moving forward in the next month or so. There'll be an announcement about an online webinar I'm going to do about the treatment of chronic depression with psilocybin. Um, that's that's on the on the go, uh, but that is it until the summertime, and if people want to be updated as to when I'm going to be teaching next or if I'll be in their in their local town, uh, the best thing to do is to sign up for my newsletter, which you can do through jameswjesta.com, because I'll be releasing my tour dates for the summer probably ooh, around April or May, once things get, um, things get a bit more confirmed. Very cool. Um, and before I let you go, James, I did have one more question to ask you, and it totally slipped my mind. I've always wondered if these grow kits that you see online that you could purchase, um, 
would you say those are are good to, good to use if 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 you actually follow the instructions? I don't know. I've never used them, so I can't I, really speak to that. Okay, good because I I never have either. I've only had stuff that was grown outdoors and never obviously never inside un- underneath someone's bed rather. Mm. I do think that there's um something to be said about having a personal relationship um with a substance or a food. And to me, it's a sacred food, the mushroom. Um, I say psilocybin a lot, and uh, I, I talk about substance a lot and stuff, but on a personal level, to me, um, it's a sacred food, uh, one that I believe we become ill if um, if we have a deficiency. No doubt. I do want to thank you for coming on to the program, though, James. It's been a very fun and interesting conversation very thought-provoking conversation, and I know most of my listeners are going to take a lot from this. Cool. Well, I appreciate um, you making the effort, Michael. It's um, very meaningful to be uh, to be to be given a space to share my ideas, um, because um, so few of us have that opportunity. So, thank you for offering it to me. Nice. Um, go ahead and, and plug your website right now, and I'll leave you with the final word, James. So my website is jameswgesso.com, which is J-E-S-S-O. You can follow me on Twitter at jameswgesso. Same with Instagram and on Facebook. I'm jameswgesso, but it's best to find me at Mind Radio, A-T-T-M Mind Radio. Uh, That's my podcast. Um, Everything that you could possibly want for me is at jameswgesso.com. So if you can remember that one link, you can have it all. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for being on the program, James, and we'll definitely have to touch base with you again in the near future. Right. Thanks, Michael. All right, James. Take care. Bye. Good night. And that was James Gesso, ladies and gentlemen. Another great guest. A fantastic guest. Truly, I hope all of you enjoyed that very much. And I'm getting uh, quite a few messages here about some tweet I put out. Oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. Yes, you're talking about that photo, the one where it says, I just seen a weird-ass music video, and you were in it. LOL. Well, yes, that's right. That is true. It it really was a weird-ass music video, and I was in it. It's only appropriate that I would be in a weird-ass video. And no, I don't have the actual link to that video or else I'll po- I'd post it for you. And once I do, I'll definitely share that. Very strange, right? I hope all of you enjoyed the first guest here. And I will be joined by Gary the Mad Martian after we go on a little break here. It's that time once again to go to the bathroom, go to the kitchen, open up your fridge, Grab some water or maybe some apple juice. I don't know. What, what is it you people like to drink? Last time it was apple juice. Last time it was orange juice. I'm not sure. Actually, the last time it was alcohol. Most of you out there like to drink while you listen to the show. You people are wild. Now stay tuned. I'll be right back. I'm going to play some music here and see where our next guest is. Don't go anywhere, folks. I'll be right back. The difference. I, I kind of let all that other stuff go and began to focus on it. But the biggest thing about what people have to understand is I'm still the same person. And after three 
panoramic life reviews, don't you think I would have figured it out? And welcome back to the program. Mmm. I love that song, by the way. It's a good one. It sets the mood every time. I do have a confession to make, however. I believe I have. I believe I have sinned. I have sinned real bad this time, folks. Mm-hmm. I might have, or I might not have, taken something earlier. I wonder what it could have been. Aside from that, I think it's time to call our next guest, Mr. Gary Legere. Let's give him a ring here. Let's see what happens. Hmm. It's ringing, it's ringing, and I believe, I believe we have... Oh, there he is. Gary, how are you? All right, Mike. Can you hear me all right? I'm pretty good. I'm hanging tight here. I'm hanging uh, very cool. tight. I might have digested something. I might have digested something funny earlier. And what? What are those alien uh, mushrooms? <laughs> uh, perhaps, maybe. I, I can't give you a definitive answer, but I think that might have, maybe that might have or might have not happened. But here we are, so I'm holding tight here, Gary, as you can imagine. Amen. Let the ride be good. So, how am I sounding? Am I coming through all right? Because I can't hear myself through this thing, and uh, I'm going through the phone with a headset, so I'm not sure if it's uh, going in and out or if I'm too close or too far. Mm, can you hear me? I could hear you loud and clear. Let me see if I could uh, make some more adjustments here. Oh, hold on. All right. What happened to your Skype? Or the Skype is screwing up or something? I think it might have been some Russian hackers, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, blame the Russians. <laughs> I think it might have been the Russians, Gary. I think they are... I think it'd be the... Sorry. <clears throat> it might have been the folks in the Ukraine. I'm not sure. I believe it's the Chinks before I believe it's the Russians. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, Gary, I you sound good to me. I'm not sure if he's coming in loud and clear for the folks at home, but he sounds great. Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. And uh, once again, really interesting times, my friend, interesting times. So now that your ride has begun, where shall we travel to? <laughs> well, Gary, I, I must say thank you for being on the program, Mr. Gary Legere, as always, I find our discussions some of the most fascinating I've, I've had with, with, uh, all the guests I've ever had on the show, to be honest with you. It's, it's been a great time, Gary. I've learned a lot from you. I, I really appreciate, I appreciate that. Yes. And I appreciate all of our conversations we've had together in private, of course. Um, You've taught me a lot, and you've made me realize a lot of these things, Gary. A lot of things that I, I didn't, I, I, I didn't see before, and all the, all the codes, all the codes were always there. All the symbols, all the, you know what I'm saying, Gary. Everything was was there. They're everywhere. I, you taught They're me everywhere. so much. They're in everything. You opened my eyes, Gary. And that's what's odd. It's like uh, the Matrix thing, you know. Some people have said. You know, they could compare me to being like Neo <laughs> in the Matrix, you know, in regards to this thing. You know, learning how to see through it, weave through it, and, you know, learn, learn how to uh, manipulate through it or even use it as a tool. And and you got to. And, uh, you oh, know, yeah. I'll tell you what, I'm glad I know from the day when I, when I first talked to you, Mike, that uh, I think that you 
more than anyone, and you know, especially more than Dan, more so than Daniel. Uh, though I was hoping for him. Again, he had you know, like the slipping news from the news thing at that time. You know, he he he, he kind of caught things, but you know, but you you would like turn more tuned into this as it was to to, to see what the hell's going on. You know, like you say, it's one one of the best guests. I wouldn't say that. I will say it's because of what you're saying or feeling is because of the subject. The subject is the best subject because, you know, you talk all these compendium of different guests from paranormal, the UFOs, to what everyone's got something they talk about and they're searching for, you know, answers for. And which is good, and you talk about them, and they talk, you know, they bring forth this. But what type of evidences or case has we ever been presented on your show or many others that you may have heard and have been on yourself, my friend? <laughs> Kudos. But, and that have even spoken about evidences of NASA imagery being withheld from the public, a conspiracy, not just a controversy, a controversy, a conspiracy behind them, to, to cause harm, well, of course, be harm, but at the same time, act as an acclamation to get you people to see it. You know, all the all the events which brought us here, this fight with Mr. Hoagland, yes. which you know, it, 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 it turns into it turned into a fight. You know, but it, it, it's still deeper than a fight. It's not. It, it's a fight, but it's not really a fight. It's a. It's a matter of Gary. Let me, let getting, me getting to look into something the way yes. we all, like you said, the codes out there, to tune into something the which is being transmitted, but it's under everyone's noses, sometimes even literally even the evidences, and it being there to present and demands investigation. What's so, anyway, thoughts about seeing something like that and then seeing how many people run instead of embracing what demands investigation. So, you know, I definitely appreciate, you know, your tenacity uh, in, the, in the style and where you're leading the show, especially now doing solo. And uh, I like where it's going, a uh, show at a time, I used to say, right? But you know yeah. what? Of where this is, Michael, you're at the forefront because, like you said, you're, you're starting to see things. You're learning things to which the people involved that are running won't answer, won't help us understand, won't make things easier, not just upon me, and trying to get what I'm trying to get out to everybody, you especially, and you and Michael Vara, because you two are at the, the forefront of being the ones who have even decided to tackle this. Everyone else pussified. They all turned pussy and ran from it, and or they thought it wasn't that big of a deal, or they have a jealous problem about me, or they just don't like me, so therefore, how with the research? We don't like these guys. We'd rather tune ourselves into someone that, that tickles our ears and our fancy, and that would conform and make us feel comfortable with what we would like to hear. And so that's all that they're ever told. But it's deception. It's very, yes. And, that, and yeah. you're seeing through the deception, Mike. And that, just like Michael Vera, I give you guys props and kudos for it. And you two are the most ones that I try to poke and show people of the potential of this. It's not just one person, but there's other hosts. He cannot destroy everyone's radio shows that wants to t- deal with this subject. Again, the, what other show yeah, event Gary, Mike, have you seen this on? By the way, Gary, let me just mention really quickly here that Richard 
Charles Hoagland. Take as much time as you want. <laughs> Richard, Richard Charles Hoagland does in fact listen to this program. Many of his listeners oh, have, sure. many of his listeners already have come forward and revealed that to me plenty of times. There were, there were also times where I was asked if I could or if I would be willing to help his program out and I said no. Well, maybe you, you should have took that ride a little further. Let, let's see what you could have gained, but that was smart move because there was, there would definitely come a point in time to where my name would be brought up. Just like uh, Mike Vara there with the golden carrot, you were being offered a carrot again. Notice that, my friend. I, I mean, do. you already slipped news from the news once, remember? I sure did. But now they're, they're trying to corral you back in. And then what? What would happen if you want to have Mad Martian on? What would that want to happen if you want to even talk about UFO diaries, let alone those secret faces of Mars images we all know who provided at this point, right? Uh, yeah. That doesn't want to answer about mm. it, yet he encouraged the investigation. So... Michael, you're at the forefront of this topic, and because everyone else that put that so pussy from it, oh, you're attacking a research or it's for reach around so they can all wash each other. They're all in it for money. They don't really give a shit about the truth because when the truth is there, they run from it. Or they're just, oh, they, they succumb and agree to the conspiracy to keep this covered up. I mean, I'm glad you, I'm glad so you, uh, yes, Gary, and I'm glad you mentioned this conspiracy, this, uh, cover up. It's not like you, you haven't tried calling out Mr. Charles Ho, Mr. Richard Charles Hoagland plenty of times, even on the very popular Coast to Coast AM with Mr. George Norrie. You've also called into <laughs> that program and he hung up on you, correct? Oh man, there's things right now. You know, I just got a speaker system hooked up. I mean, I could even play clips from from when I called in, and not only getting hung up on. There was a time when I was actually on for two minutes about, and he, Mr. Norrie, said, "Oh, sure, you know, you know, you send me an email, you know, we'll set up a date, and you know, you know, set up something, you know, to talk about this." But the times before that, yeah, I get hung up on. But this one time, I was able to get through, and he he said yes, he was he's willing to look at it, and then a week later. Mr. Hoagland was on with him, and I got the call in again. Hoagland was surprised because Nori said, you know, when a person calls in, they only get the call once a month. Well, I'm, uh, you know, this guy's saying he called last week, and Hoagland goes, yes, he called last week. Like, <laughs> like you know, he, he was, it must have been something behind the scenes with Mr. Nori and Hoagland about that. Because here I am calling again, and then Ho- a week later, and then Hoagland slanders me, says that I've threatened to carve his heart out with a knife, I threatened to blow his, uh, blow him away with a 45. I mean, did he really that make that had, claim? And on the air, he said he had proof. Jesus. He said he had in Republic and mm. writing proof of that. But yet, Mike, to this day, I'll even help the ante to him now, $2,000 to show that proof. Call on in, Mr. Oakland. We know you're listening, but you don't have it. You don't have that proof, but all you like to do is flip your dick, sucker. And that's what, uh, what, sorry, to flip your mouth. Okay, and and talk crap without backing it up because of your notoriety as a celebrity, and I'm just a person stalking you. Bullshit. And Mike Vara also proved that was bullshit. But the thing is, he would slander me and say these things, and he would not present it. And Nori was like, oh, you got that right. We're not going to let him talk. Then he hangs up on me. I'm like, you know, what? a week ago you said you're willing to let your audience hear it. Uh, you know, this is, look. Even Nori's in on this, and they helped cause me and mine harm. 
by allowing Hoagland to say and do those things that night, bro, if you remember. And I'm sorry yeah. you may have heard. I put it out there. It's due to my Mars Revealer YouTube channel. Check it out, people. It's in the archives. He tried to have it destroyed and pulled down, but I got a lawyer. The videos went up the next day, practically. So they tried. They wanted to suppress all the times I called in, any time I asked about UFO diaries and the faces of Mars, but every time it would be a slandering answer. And after that slandering answer, they tried to pull it down because they knew I had a case against me because it wasn't just saying it over the phone to a couple of people or in a chat room. It, it's bad, as all people could say, you know, court, court cases and that shit, right? No, it was the millions of people worldwide on Coast to Coast AM mentioning my name, telling me that I'm crazy, I'm this and that, that I'm being used by, get this, God knows what corporations to help further their ratings. Who in Cody's talking that I'm being used by God knows what corporations to, uh, out to further their ratings? Who, God? I mean, but yet on the surface, it's like, oh, who knows who? He's just being used to get as a means to get on our work. Yeah, our work. Yeah, our own. Back to the code, Mike, the opening line. All these words out of his mouth actually connect back to this code, who it's really behind the scenes they're all trying to point us to. And what's going on is on the surface is really sideshow to get us acclimated to looking at those images because officially no one can talk about it. But unofficially, I'm painting the pictures. And it's, 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 it's uh, you know, in the way they're being painted, Hoagland's kicking his own ass. I don't have to do it. He's kicking his own ass, and it's kind of funny, but it's also serious because I try to lay it out serious. I'm going soft on him because I believe I'm, after all these years, I'm doing what he was wanting to be done, to make it safe to be seen, like he said on Mr. Wells' show that time, and that he needs few people to call in, at least 2%. You may remember that B. Wells show where he was on, Mike. You might want to listen to it again because he I was admitting that, yeah. that he was talking to uh, 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 three people, him, uh, between him and him, and the audience. So, but the audience is millions of people. But of course not. Not if he's talking in code. He was alluding he's talking to one person in the audience. And that's the person that was me that did something with it, that seen it, and that used it to help further the communication technology as it was, maybe as a test to see where I'm at, how, how good I could pick it up and let him know where I'm at and or those down through time that this acclimation program still unfolding. Based on Brookings, I brought talked about it on this show, your show in the past. Remember, Mike, under what circumstances, boy, there's plenty here, ain't there, will we be presented or withheld, <laughs> with notice we're being both at the same time, uh, that of evidence and or data which, hey, is, is being kept from us or given to us, wink, wink. Uh, but yes. it's a test involved, a test of our intelligence. We have to solve these things to prove worthy if we're intelligent enough to deal, let alone uh, with the artifacts we see, which is those faces, those uh, UFOs, because UFO diaries, they're flying by fast, uh, unidentified flying objects. You have to capture the screen, pre-frame it, and capture the screens, put the scenes together, match them to the scripts of what's being said when they're seen. To that all direct and alludes back to the opening line showing us these new faces and or that connects to these other faces themselves. And Mars Observer that also was intelligent life is trying to be given to us using uh, previous unseen images the public's never seen 
that no one can talk about. They're secret heads of state. <laughs> you get it? Uh, secret heads of, why? Because their faces on another planet, so they're secret heads of state. They belong to the state. That's why UFO Diaries was never aired in the USA. It aired in Russia and Germany. So, now with that mindset, Mike, and everyone else, there's a code in that video that leads us to these images, but more than that. Then once, if we're smart enough, because it's going to take us in this code deeper than you ever imagined, through the twilight zone, the yellow brick road, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto, and it leads us along the path of a story of a secret history of NASA. In code, Oakland is NASA. Notice he wrote a book, Dark Mission, The Secret History of NASA. It's all code. He's on his dark mission now. That's his dark mission. And so if 2% of you see through this or want to know about it or even don't, but you see the video, you see the faces, you know the important reasons enough to contact him as it is, especially when he's in the video more than a third of, though not filmed in connection with those images. The producers who I interviewed told me he was supposed to play his part. He cost them more than $85,000, leaving big holes in the script. So they filmed it last. They had a bunch of holes they had to fill in. And when he was warned that down through time, that his picture indeed will be filmed in connection back to where once he not wished to be photographed. <laughs> You've got to appreciate the irony. But yes. it's also spooky because this was filmed in a Masonic Lodge. It was filmed by Masons. Hulkland's a Mason. He's one of their own. That's what as I. Well as NASA. Right. That's what I. That's what I'm finding out here that he has a deep connection to this and. Of course. And you Jerry. always hear him talking bad about NASA. Yes. NASA's doing this, NASA's doing that. But when we look now, Mike, in this new light, wink, wink, we could easily pick out what he's really trying to say, and he's talking about himself because we have a working model. In science, a working model is important to put forth a thesis and, and to try to, what's a, when you bring it beyond the thesis, you, you actually prove it. And, and, and it shows it because his script connects right to it. And then, like I said, in these video paintings I do, he's kicking his own ass, but he's also describing what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, why I'm doing it. And then it becomes, wow, I, do I believe this? I must. Mr. Sellier said I got to believe. I have to have faith. Faith really matters, Gary. You and that's believe. the executive you know, producer, and, correct, of UFO Diaries. Excuse me? You're talking about the executive producer for UFO Diaries? Correct. And he's more than that. He's very more than that. And I also fight for him. He's no longer here, and it might be my fault of the reason why he's not. Uh, not even six hours before the news, I tried bugging him again, and then, well, somehow he mysteriously wound up dead. Hmm, that's interesting. And just, no one, hmm. and in the papers, nothing wow. was put in the papers on how. On how? What was the cause? How? Mysterious causes. Really? Well, Hoagland's show last year, and I got recordings of this, remember, Mike? I think you might have heard it where a caller with a, I don't know, might have been a German accent. Is that a coincidence? Or Australian, or maybe even Australian, calls into the show, and, and uh, the Hoagland's uh, other side at midnight, which means dawn, it's code, all right, now, Dawn, yes. and he brings up about Mr. Selye. He says, Mr. Selye's uh, past, what about Mr. Selye? What about this UFO diaries? Oh, he's not, yeah, he's not to talk about, you know, his, his same old bullshit routine, sweeping it under the rug, it's not important, yada, yada. But then he, uh, then the guy goes, oh, well, I just wanted you to know, you know, Mr. So Mr. Selye's uh, past, he's dead. And Richard goes, well, then no one can really ask him what he meant by anything. Really? 
how many audio do I have of the producers? I mean, it's pretty clear to me, but they're not speaking Swahili. And I figured it out, and I had to go back to those archives when I had the producers on because they were talking code to me. I've seen every, a lot more ta- at times when I had to go back to the archives. Holtland's hints at that. He says, with all these bits and pieces, you know, whether they come from certain libraries or archives or documents, well, documentaries, get it? And it's also an archive because it's an archive of six tapes. Think about that. Notice there was also episode six on volume three. But when it was filmed, it was filmed last because everything Mr. Hoagland had to do and everything that was being done, well, to ensure down through time, Mr. Hoagland indeed gets photographed back in connection where he not wished to be photographed, where this code told me a story, a very interesting story about a guy doing a deal with the Soviets and and, uh, and giving, passing information along and why he had to play his part in UFO Diaries to begin with is because of a punishment, not because of his creditable work on the surface. Remember, everybody, think of this, 1990 to 1993. This was put in, put out, it was completed in 93, put out, eh, well, it depends. Either way, it aired in Germany, but officially on the record, they say 95 here. Bullshit. It was, uh, it was uh, might have been packaged up and all that, but it aired, remember, Germany and Russia. Interesting, now, yeah. I'll get my head because this is important, but I think he has something to say. Oh, no, I'm saying that's very interesting, that connection. And indeed, um, I, I actually have a lot to say, but no, keep going, Gary. There's, there's plenty of okay. time tonight. Don't worry. There's plenty of time, right? <laughs> all right. Oh, yeah. So, I'll think about this. So these, when he did this video that he never likes to talk about, now remember over the years, I was part of Enterprise Mission since 98. He came to me. He found me and brought me under his wing at Enterprise as an honorary member and ultimately becoming like a son to him, he said to me more than twice. And once Robin had said about how Richard felt about me. So that being thrown in there, okay, I'm not just some stalker, some crazy stalker coming out of the woodwork. Now, this video, at that time, remember, in 91, he did the UN presentation, talking about the Cytonia face and all this. This even tapes that he sells. He points them out to people over the years. Buy, buy that. Buy all these tapes. Okay, he's got to make money, and he's about money. More so than the work. But I'll say this. Uh, you got to be true to yourself. He, he said to me once also, Gary, you got to be true to yourself. How can one be true to oneself if one... No, how can one be true to others if one cannot be true to oneself? Richard, look back on those words on yourself now. Now, think about this. So I'm staying true to myself. So at that time, he, he was talking about the face of Cydonia, the geometry, yada, yada, the lines, all the... You know, that would put people to sleep. So I always thought some of it's fascinating. But it's all bullshit. Because this code is called the Code of Cydonia, and it connects back to that UFO Diaries episode called what? Cydonia. Is that a coincidence? So you always hear Holden talk about NASA, Cydonia. So when you see this light and how I'm trying to help you shape this dimension of your thinking and, and just following the gist, it's hard, like Holden says, it turns into another reality. It changes your consciousness, and then when when that when that is uh what do you say at that a conference and asleep and not a clue awake and aware at a time travel panel in 2013, he said when that happens when you change your consciousness and you, therefore you see this it it means you can no longer keep secrets, <laughs> and so their last ditch efforts 
to prevent the truth coming out is to try to create fusion by the bad guys, which we know now is Hoagland. But Hoagland said I was fired off by the bad guys, the dark side. I mean, uh, attributing to the force. What is this Star Wars shit with this gay code? And, and anyway, so, you know, it, but am I, therefore, am I Luke Skywalker? If he's on his dark mission, he's a dark what? He must be Count you. Because his name's Dick Hoagland, and that's all he likes to do is dick you. Yeah, you know, I'm not, am I being profane, or am I being right on notch with the code? To attribute the identity, that was this identity described as a John Doe at first that did a deal with the Soviets. And that's why when the, look, it's a lot of meat here. I'm jumping around, and I would really love to break down all of this from the beginning. Actually, you know. That's what we're going to do right now, there's many archives out there. No, but Gary, let's. The important fact uh, that I'm trying to bring up is that in 91, he was, he never mentioned about UFO diaries. He'll mention about all these other things, even monuments of Mars. Gary, he never we, mentioned about uh, UFO Gary, diaries where these other faces. Right. There's other fa- Gary, can, can we just go back though in time really quickly yeah. here? Let's go back to how it all began, Gary. Let's go back to the roots. Can you tell us a little bit how, a little bit about how, in fact, you got interested in UFOs, basically, and then what led you to? Those are two different subjects. Very two. Why yes, they're connected. They, that's what I'm talking about. And let, let's also talk about how you came in paths with one Richard Charles Hoagland. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes they say, well, Scripture says in the Bible that it's not man to determine their steps. Uh, like, we might think we're just going to walk to the store. We might just think we're going to walk down the block or, or, or do some type of chore or, or create some new thing. But it's not our steps. It's being guided. And that's what I was being shown by this code. And that, that was spooky. And sometimes it still is. But I'm alive. They seem to want me to know information and know some things and use our intelligence to figure things out. But that's part of the disclosure. It's not just about these faces. But anyway, I'm digressing from your question. This goes back to once I was even a child. I've yes, had all these experiences. And, uh, and I mean a child, dude. How old I were you, though? How do you remember you, know? you being when you well, first, according you know. to my mother, mm-hmm. According to my mother, who gave me more info, you know, she had told me in the past and hinted at it and hinted at family. No one would believe her. And, and you know, but I did because of certain things that went on in my life as a kid. But on her deathbed, she gave me more information. And I'll just tell you, you said, how far back? Well, I'll say as far back before I even came out of her. Really? And that's hinted at also. That's hinted at also in this code of the UFO diaries of what I learned to see of this individual, John Doe, who was later named Dick, who did a deal with the Soviets, helped almost destroy our intelligence network. And they had to seek refuge to the Masons. Because they had secrets that they did not want the Soviets to get. But then uh, they sought refuge, and they were granted refuge. But then we were told in this code, the Masons then invested in them, and thus invested, boom, they're not just an organization again. Now they're merged, now they're one, that's who's running things now. That's who these images belong to, and they want us to know that's who Hoagland belongs to, because Hoagland's one of them, as well as NASA, thus their pictures. Our own. That oh God, that opens another can. Let me again. I'm digressing. It's okay, I just don't want worry. to throw that out there. For it's you. okay. But um, mm-hmm. so it, it goes back ultimately to things that God can over the years would get more connected. Everything's still not connected. I believe if I had some type of help to unlock certain memories that I know that are locked, that 
of things or partial memories that I have or what I was meant to remember or how I was allowed to remember, you know, it, it, it goes coming out of the womb. Even when I was six years old, I believe they came back and mapped me uh, physically. Why? Maybe uh, for whatever reason, they were trying to see maybe whatever they did to my mom. And I don't care what you people out there think, but I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm destined for something with this. And that's the point here. But the thing is... Yes, Gary. Who? By who? That's that's scary. And but I can't put me a pussy. Because surely no one tells it like a survivor that rings in my mind. Because we're being tested at the same time. And there's people, well, <laughs> intelligences, alive, half want us to know, half want us to not know. They want me to succeed. The other half don't want me to succeed. All right, so it's a test. And if we are to get this disclosures, we have to pass this test. Or, uh, and that's the test-based brookings. Again, it all goes, a lot goes back to the brookings. But anyway, get back to your question. I want to stay focused for once. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. But I'm sorry. Right, don't worry. All right, now, so later in life, I'll just say this, the early 2000s, I met uh, Hoagland in 98, well, not met him, met him, but he came to me when I was, mm-hmm. it was the day I got a computer, I got the internet, same day, and I was like, well, you know, first thing you do, you look for TNA, oh, yeah, you know, you're young, and all right, fun, fun. Sure. All right, what next? And I, and I was like, well, I remember me and my buddy Tom Damp in the mall when I, when I was like, you know, 1985, when I was 15, we went in the Barnes and Noble, we seen a book on the thing with the... Uh, which was obviously, believe it or not, Richard Hoagland's book, The Monuments of Mars. Only years later did I remember that. But uh, And as I got to know Hoagland, because I seen the cover again, it was his when he gave me a copy. So after I had met him, uh, I don't know, not eight, nine months into our relationship as it was, he you know, gave me that book. But it turned out it was that book. It had the face, uh, Cydonia, as a picture on the back with uh, the fortress. And uh, it was a red Mars, I don't know, a really ugly cover. You know, the fifth edition I like a lot better, and it's more coded to fit now. But anyway, he knows what I'm going. Many of you Nazis don't, but you know what? You will in time because I'm going to help you, especially if you take my advice and watch my crazy videos, like Hoagland says not to, or, you know, don't, no one should listen to me. But yet he has me being watched. Yeah, well, well, Nori goes, well, do you, you, have, you have law enforcement involved when he was slandering me and, and saying that, uh, I was uh, stalking him and all this crap he he can provide evidence for. He goes, I got him being watched. Well, in code, isn't that true? Who's watching? There are some people watching this down through time as well as now and trying to, but he needs 2% of you. So he cannot feel psychologically oh, alone. By, by the way, Gary, you know, Gary, you. Now, regards, mm-hmm. now, 98, he, you know, he, he came to me. I put out a theory out there because that was the face of Mars. I downloaded it. And I didn't see it at first, but something got me. I started drawing over that image. I, had a, I got myself a graphic tablet. I didn't know how to use the computers. Like, everything I was doing, I, I, it, was, it was weird, dude. Oh, that's all I'll say. My steps were not my own, but, uh, you know, I, I, it was exciting. And, but I started drawing every, every nook and cranny, every pixel. And one day, after doing this for hours, hours, 12 hours a day, 16 hours a day on this on this huge image slat they gave up that face that time from Mars Global Surveyor, uh, I came back to my Cuba, uh, went to go get a drink. I was coming back halfway between my kitchen and the computer. I dropped my glass because in that work that I was doing, I had it zoomed out a little, 
and at a right position. So at a distance, I could see that I seen that face. I seen all. The, I was like, I was right. It's all art sculpted because you could see all by how I was drawing it all, pixel by pixel. When you zoom out, you can see all the patterns and where all the lines are going, crisscross this way, that way, that way. This thing is etched. It's not an eroding. It's not an eroding du desert dust heap. It's not caved in. It's not avalanche. You people just don't know what the fuck you're looking at, and you're taking NASA's opinion. Oh, trick of light and shadow because you people don't know what you're looking at. And, and to be honest, it's superior to your imagination. Because this, by based on Brookings, is what they were afraid of. It would freak people out. So they tried to skew the image. They tried to do things. But even though they did, I was still able to bring out that art. And I've seen it. And it's not just on the face. It goes everywhere. And that, therefore, my claim that God Hoagland connected to me because I was trying to put out my work and seek for people who might know about some of this stuff, because I wasn't finding it on NASA sites. You know, in fact, I got insulted by Mr. Greybeard, Mike Malin, and a couple other people through them. And, you know, I guess so Holden must have seen my work because I made the claim artistically fashioned. Yes, artistically fashioned entire planetary surface. Thus, connecting the UFO diaries now, as a mindset, we digress for a moment, it says that the planet Mars we now know is covered. <laughs> Think about it, wink, wink. The planet Mars we now know is covered with giant meteor craters. No, no, gigantic mountains, meteor craters, and deserts that reach around the entire planet. And then it says, and one thing more. Now, how can it be all those things and then one thing more? If it's wrapped around the entire planet, how can you have one thing more? Easy. What is covering? And they say a giant sculpture, which many, many scientists, now speculate was created by an unknown race of intelligent beings. Isn't that interesting? An unknown race of intelligent beings that, that the Mars we now know we're being told is covered. Meaning what? The Mars they now know don't look like the Mars we now know. The Mars they now know, the UFO Diaries Code of Intelligence, tells us it's really a giant sculpture. The Mars we now know looks well, as gigantic mountains, media craters, and deserts that reach around the entire planet, and one thing more. And if it is what it appears to be, what? A cover-up? And then the next, the next question they asked is, what does that have to do with Earth? By the They're way, Gary. They're pulling us in. Gary, let me, pulling um, us in, Mike. Gary, let me, let me quickly backtrack one thing quickly here. You, you mentioned. I know, I jumped you, off the question. No, 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 no. It's okay. You mentioned NASA. And, and Gary, you brought up people watching and hearing, and we all know Hoagland listens to this program. He listens to the show when you are on, and that reminds me. Was, wasn't there an interesting IP address that was logged um, onto your, your website that came from NASA? Yes. Hmm. I'm lost. You must have found did some research and found that, hmm. as I did years ago. Interesting. Yes, indeed. And, you know, of course, when, when people hit your website, you, you know, you normally don't have a .gov unless you're being watched. Or, you know, people start getting nervous. But when it's a NASA.gov, they're, they're there for a specific purpose. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. this is that purpose. You know, and the weird thing about this, in 2000, all right, I, and, oh, how do I, let me get my blood straight. Wait, let me hit this. Please excuse me, Mike. Go and ahead. Audience. Take your time. Clear your mind. Because this is. Important. Very important. Because it goes back it goes back to your question I want to answer. Experiences. So ninety eight Holgum got me under his wing and it's because of my theory, I believe. And I went in a little tangent about that, but it's not a tangent, everyone. Follow the research, follow the data. Do your work. I'm like helping you. I'm deciphering it. All you gotta do is follow it and try to get the gist 
and be that 2% and make it safe to be seen so he can come out and acknowledge it himself. The Wells interview, Mike. Anyway, now, so in 2001, I've had a dream experience. They, I was in Towners. My body was not in my body. Though my body, I was with me. My body was my body. But I know what it was like to be slammed back into my body. And wherever I was, I could not wake myself up my whole life. I could, I, I would have dreams, vivid dreams. I've been to places, man. And I'm not, you know, I, that's all I'm going to say. But this, these certain things, as, as I got older, got more intense, more stronger. I could not wake myself up, bring myself back as it was. I never was slammed in my body, at least from that I was allowed to remember before. Vivid experiences vary, which they were also knowing about because I told them. Who's them? Dr. Robin Tweedy there and Dr. Hoagland, Mr. Hoagland. And, you know, because they wanted to know. We, we were close, and, you know, I had no one else to talk to about this because it was related. Look, they titled me, to keep it a long story short, this will be written in the book one day. Before I die, it will be. Take it as you will, people. But I was titled Mars Revealer. I was told something very specific. And Hoagland, was, I told him that, too, and I felt embarrassed. I felt stupid. But I went with the name Mars Revealer ever since. Now, people would like to say, oh, I should call yourself Man Martian now to let Evan Mars Revealer. I was like, yeah, well, yeah, I call myself Man Martian now. I, was, I did not call myself Mars Revealer. There's a difference. Uh, you know, that came on later when I was mad. So, and that seemed to have taken off because someone made a joke and, and it went off. And, I, and you know what? It, it, it is what it is. And it fits, and it fits the code, Mike. But anyway, we're not talking about that now. So yes, we have to go back to I, when I, you... I was also told, get yes. this, I would discover other faces of Mars. And I was like, oh, okay, now I know I'm dreaming. You know, I mean, this is not, you know, I, I'm trying to rationalize with myself because I can't wait myself. I can't do anything. I'm trying to think four, three or four different things at once because I kept having the feeling my environment was being shaped for me and or my, my mind was being... Uh, Observe of my thoughts. So if I, I thought to myself, if I think, try and think of three and four different things at once, I can centralize on one thing and figure out how the hell to wake up and get out of there. You know, because, you know, this was so surreal. And it wasn't the first time. Now, no and behold, 2003 comes along. I've had a couple experiences before that, and they weren't always so friendly. They were warnings. They got my dog, which they did, and I'm not even going to get into that story now. They had me, the mark on my arm, that was well the same morning, and it turned out that they gave him cancer. That's all I'm going to say. He was traumatized overnight. You know, the tumor must have been there for months, about a year, they say. I was like, bullshit, it happened 24 hours ago. And then they're looking at me like I hit him, and I was like, yeah, then explain the mark on the inside of my arm. Oh, I don't think I can handle it. I can't, I can't do you dog anymore. You're going to have to take him to another vet, but don't tell him what you told me. I was like, you're an asshole. Give me my money back. You know, but thanks for the x-ray. You know what I'm saying? Because right. this was important. And it was not cancer. It, it, well, that's how he wound up dying, but it was not there for a long period of time. It did not just creep out from behind the sockets overnight. Something like that, I was told it would have to have been there about a year. They had to put the drain in his head and everything. I mean, this, this was so serious, but it was, they wanted me to know that they did it to him. They were able to get into my house, and that the next time that I seen another experience, I don't know if it was the same ones, but I was told they would get my wife if they already got my dog. And the, that very morning, when I, when, when, I, when they threatened the wife, it was like a veal uh, 
staring when they said, we already got your dog. I was instantly awake, and my wife was screaming. And I said, what's wrong? Well, why don't I take her to the doctor? She has MS, and she's never had any of these symptoms before this night. She's never had these pains. She's, I mean, look, man, they were trying to tell me and show me something. Now, that's when I started getting mad. I didn't just start getting scared. I started getting mad because who, who are they? What are they? And what, what, what am I to do? And, and that's why the, the but and all I always had to do. What do I see on Mars? What do I see on Mars? But anyway, that was from 2001 to 2003, and I'm leaving things out, a lot of it out. But in 2003, I was anonymously mailed, anonymously mailed, a physical wrapped up a recorded disc with uh, this UFO Diaries episode on it. No return address, you know, permanent markers. I hope you see it. I hope you see it. No return address. Postmarked in my town, though, and that was odd. And that was in Florida at the time, Hollywood, Florida. No, no, sorry, Palm Bay, Florida. So it came to me. I was like, huh. I put it in the thing. Interesting. Freaked me out, in fact. You know, first minute I took it off my shelf, put it, you know, took it out of my computer, back on the shelf. You know, I just keep on it. But I sat on it for three years. I sat on it for three years, and then the last two of the years before I released, uh, so the first, the second year, the, the year after I got this, I started investigating the nothing, nothing, nothing. Not until I brought this forth. Then all of a sudden information was creeping out of this UFO diary. And someone was really trying to put up a lot of split copies by all the new accounts that were being made at YouTube. How do I know they're new? Because when you're new there, they make you make 15-minute segments. That's all there was of UFO Diaries, was 15-minute segments splitting us up. Zachariah Sitchin, Zachariah Sitchin, Anunnaki, Richard Hoagland, Face of Mars. Yet, to drown out what one person put up of this video and said, hey, uh, all the faces of Mars is a code, Richard Hoagland, blah, 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 blah. So it had to be drowned out. I believe that was Richard and everyone else. But anyway, I just want to throw that out there. He's a spook, and that's what spooks do to try to drown out some information. When they try to destroy your show and destroy your life, that's to drown out your threat. No, it doesn't matter if your show is good or sucked, but if you had something that, oh, my God, obviously they're worried about, they'll do what it takes. And they tried, my life had three attempts on it. Yes. I and look, g- Hoagland even said on his show, mm-hmm. when I called in once, oh, I'm surprised you're still alive. I lost track of you. Oh, wow. Really? Really? You're surprised I'm still alive because your attempts that you had on my fucking life failed. And I slipped news from the news. You must have been pulling out your gray hairs, making them whiter. And look what happens. I was tucked away for a few years without the Internet. But I was tucked away in the middle of nowhere, somewhere in a land that I was told that I should go and I should have faith and belief in to where I would go, tucking me away to a place I did not want to be. I did not like what? It gave me the time and, well, nothing else to do out here in this godforsaken country. And I started looking into this more to where if I didn't move out here, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to learn and dig in this code because that's all I had was time. And then look where it brought me when I came out in 2011, slash, at the end of 2011, 2012, where the apocalypse was being revealed even by Hoagland's own words on Gaia. Yes, that was me he was talking about, bringing this forth. Remember, he, no one can acknowledge it on the surface, but in the code, in the scripts, when it connects, it paints a story where I got him painting it, leading us, hey, this is what Gary's really doing. On the surface, I'm trying to destroy him and slam it. He's nobody. 
But yet, look what Gary's doing. I'm actually explaining that shit. I'm kicking my own ass, too. Ain't you entertaining? Some of it funny? Boy, Gary's a funny guy. But yeah, Gary, he said it to me in 2006, which is also part of the coded script. I was able to put it in. I, as well as him, been part of an acclimation program, him 25 years to 30 at that point, me for a little less, that I'm the, my voice was going to be at the head of this wave, of this new wave of of what is coming, of what is this disclosure, to bring forth disclosure. He always did say with Nor Even Art that disclosure was not going to come about how everyone would think. And next thing you know, I'm out there at the beginning of 2012 talking about codes. Richard's talking in code. And next thing you know, Richard starts saying that himself. Wow, we're talking. They speak to each other in codes. He was trying to lead towards Nori to see it. He was trying to lead the audience to see it then. And I seen it and I used it. And it painted a picture. And it painted a picture that connects right back to that opening line of UFO Diaries, right to the coded words of what Mr. Sellier and Mr. Shackelford, the two producers, told me, connecting, oh, my God, Michael, this has to be impossible. It has to be nuts. But yet, it, look who's running. Look at all the connections. Look at all the truth and information I got. Now, look, people, I can understand how I sound. And how I, know, I, I, I would think that that's ill of you, too. But I would take a deeper look because I'm a serious Mars researcher and, therefore, follow the basis which Richard Hoagland taught me to investigate no matter where it leads or no matter who it leads to, you do your homework, and you investigate to determine for yourself if there's something valid or not. Well, these aren't just my words. This all led by other people. Therefore, I have other sources. I have other things that, that is, you know, is so odd. It's just there for me to use. It's like so obvious. It's so obvious it's a cover-up. It's like you know, what, what's going on? We're not going to say there's a cover. We're going to ignore it. But yet there it is, people. Look, and Gary's doing something with the script. I, I've always been trying to teach all the Nazis, but everyone's too stupid or too busy not to see it. But if those of you that do that code keys have a way in, get under his circle, under his shielding. His shielding is a script that protects him. But if you get through, all he's going to do is run and keep... Keep uh, shielding away. Keep scripting. Oh, new conferences. But it's, he's always talking about the same things. No matter what it is, it's scripted. He's doing a job. He has nowhere to run, and I can use it against him as a weapon. He's exposed. Therefore, he's discovered because he's part of the structure of the pyramid inside the circle. Boy, what does that symbolism show you? A circle with a pyramid inside? The Masons. Where was this film and created in the Masonic Lodge? Oh my God! Am I crazy, Mike? No, not at all. Other sources. It sounds crazy, but remember, disclosure will not come about how we would we would want or how we would think. Because everyone's official about the ass. But the only way to get it, like Hoagland said on my show, and this was part of the code too. It's like he knew even then that I was years later was going to use it. Uh, to try to solve this and what is unfolding now is actually part of the acclimation process to where Hoagland himself says, we're getting at the end of this acclimation period, uh, you know, where the truth, the deal is just going to be open. Like when you flip the Rubik's Cube, the last piece, ta-da, everything starts to make sense. We Everything not makes sense yet, but it's damn close. we got enough to build a case. The enemy is running on the surface. He's two people in one. 
I'll kick you, Darth Vader. If I'm Luke, if I'm like a son, that was not you, Luke Skywalker, since I'm forcing everybody to ask deeper and better questions. I mean, think about this. I mean, it's very pertinent because he's trying to allude to this code itself, Mike, and that what he's doing to me on the surface, he knows at some point I'm going to see. And I have seen it, and I showed him that, and I still show him that. But at the same time, I got to fight, fight Cal Dickie, like Luke had to keep fighting his father until his father was defeated and died, therefore freeing his father, whose true father, the good father, inside himself. Remember, Hoagland always says, there's a war inside NASA. There's a war. Two sides at war with each other inside NASA. The owls and the roosters. One side wants the truth out, the other side does not. Well, when you apply this pizza, he goes like this, I apply this pizza to NASA. <laughs> Therefore, once we see who NASA is, which is him, it becomes easier to see what he's really behind the scenes trying to really tell us. He's being Darth Vader on the surface. We have to defeat him so we can set him free because the Hoagland, the guy I, I love this guy, not a queer, he's not, you know, people would say he look queer, but no. Oh I mean, the, guy, the guy taught me a lot. He took me under his wing like, I couldn't believe it, neither could any of the Enterprise mission members. Notice this also. I happen to be under his wing. This comes to me. This code not just finger points to me, it calls me like out like a tree in a never-ending story. Like, I'm like, what? Yeah, because then the intelligence down through time is talking to me, and as I learned, what I, it was guiding me by breadcrumbs, as it was, like a detective writing it all down, trying to figure this shit out, and reporting back to Hoagland, mind you all, Okay, of what I was finding, uh, it said, this is how worlds communicate. Then I started thinking about that. Well, okay, and now, how is it? If this stems from the video, and it's all compressed data, Paul, as it was, and only somehow I'm somehow tuned in to read, then I think about maybe the, uh, my little uh, pickup when I was six years old, and what my mom told me, you know, and, and, and her experience with the UFO following her and lost time and all that shit. And then me being born, and look, all I'm saying, it's not far-fetched, but that also connects to scriptural things where people will say, Gary, are you a Nephilim? I don't know, and I hope not. But yet, this code, they didn't want me to know they were the Martians, okay? Now, look, and that it ain't them that's hiding the truth from us about what them on, on and under Mars. That's the exact words, on the surface or under Mars, but forces here on Earth working to prevent us from knowing about them. Okay, now we got, now I had an excuse. I'm not crazy. I'm getting a clarification of an identity trying to be pointed out to me using my intelligence. I surely can't survive there. Remember, it's all a test. So, and I'm, and I'm, well, I'm learning. The Invisible College Hogan talks about. This is it. Nazis. Yeah, Believe Gary. What you want. Gary, where? When, I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Gary, when exactly was it when you crossed paths, though? However, with with Mr. Richard Hoagland, when was this? You said that it was, was 1998. 98. But apparently, apparently, though, compared to my dream experiences, I'm going to say this. It could have been even when I was. That's all I'm going to say. Because that's the only rationalization. Because look, this is how worlds communicate. Really. I'm thinking to myself, really? But then I started laughing. Wait a minute. Wait, and what are all the worlds? All the worlds could be Moon, Mars, Venus, or it could be planet Kabuki and some fucking far off wherever. You know, not even a glimpse on a, on a, on a telescope. And but no matter where, even if it's a planet that close or a planet that far, what do you have to do in order to get there? That would make that statement 
this is how worlds communicate, I was told in code, true. You have to cross space and time. Of course. No, so, no, Gary, wait, so wait, a, wait, a, hold on one, one second, Gary. Somewhere, Gary, we, we gotta, we, and they help them. Gary, we gotta find out uh, though. We, we all wanna know how exactly and when exactly it was when Richard Hoagland first approached you w- with this word. 1998. He uh, approached, I think how it was did, October, November, yes, 1998. How did he first? It was several months after the release of the, uh, uh, of the new face of Mars image that hasn't been imaged since 76. And he set you for so this assignment, it, correct? And that was July, huh? And he set you up for this assignment, correct? For what assignment? He brought me on the... No, I don't know. But in, in, in these paintings, it's like he's saying yes. Now I'm coming... Like, remember when he says, when you flip the... Like a Rubik's Cube, when you flip the last piece, then everything starts to fall in line. It makes sense. You pull these lines through the matrix until, boom, you, you pull it all out. It's like, ah... So is this like a symbolic representation of, of what are those strings, those koopy strings, whatever the hell it is in the Aztec? I mean, I mean, this just weird stuff attributed to this. And but in 2006, I revealed it in Enterprise. I didn't ever let him know. I never even let my mom know before she passed. And I knew she would have wanted to know, but I didn't tell. I didn't tell a soul. I just, one day, I just said, you know what, three years later, mm-hmm. I, I just went over to myself, pulled it off, and I was like, you know what, I just feel like i got to play this as a card, like it's a card. Why did I have that thought? And, I, and, and unbeknownst to me, I just went and kept doing what I was doing, not knowing what I was doing, but knowing I had to reveal it at Enterprise. There first. And that's what I did. Uh, uh, what, June, that's six months. Six months of June, 2006. Someone wondered why Hoagland's replies. Boy, I wonder what Hoagland's reply would be on 666. I'll leave that for another time of his reply on that date. But I'll say this, very connecting, because at that time, we have another forum somewhere else that also deals with an adventure in time, Captain Sword, all right, all right, a unit sword, to where at the same time was being described what was happening at Hoagland's site. I did not know. And others, maybe one did. He did not tell me till a year later. And what was going on in Hoagland, and, and my name was even mentioned, and he's talking that Hoagland has data, that Hoagland was supposed to reveal he ain't. If, if Hoagland fails to act, that's on him. I mean, all this stuff, that Hoagland's a member of them. They're a secret group of military uh, of Mason guys. They're part of a secret space program. They, they've been to Iapetus, apparently. They've had exper- experiences out in space. And Hoagland, they want, they still want that moon with a view part seven. I want that too, because that old sword said it would tell of their, some of their, uh, journeys, their adventures together. Who? Hoagland and Sword and this secret space program. Although it's lo and behold, all that crap aside, but it's a crap. The important things that that sword said that day, I'm tuned first even, all the way to the third, every time, oh, the same days I was bringing this forth. I didn't know about this particular blog. I didn't know Hoagland had interactions with this dude before. Tits for Tatton in public. And Hoagland, when I did ask her about a year later, because that's when I was directed to it, well, who's that? Who, you mean Captain Sword? No, no, Michael Sword? No, dude, look, I sent your screen captures. He, just like the UFO Diaries, he wouldn't talk about it. Now, get this. So, how is that coincidence that I'm 
I'm under his wing. I'm at Enterprise already a few years. My show I started in what 2001, 2002. So yeah, I your mean, show. We, you know, Gary, we and, don't and really. 2003. Gary, I we don't really talk how about is it here. Like that I'm the guy. How am I the monkey in the middle? How am I the right guy at the right place at the right time? There's too many coincidences there that just to be chance that I'm anonymously mailed a disc. I hope you see it. Da, 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 I hope you see it. What? Uh, I saw the new face on Mars. So for months, I just, again, I watched one minute. I seen what I needed to see. I put it on the shelf, and I every day I would just think about it as I would do my work, and I would go, huh, huh, did yeah, I Gary, see that? Gary, so by the so way, we don't. I had the and put it yes. on the shelf, and I started looking into it. And it's incredible, Mike. Yeah, Paul Gary, by the way, we don't we don't really talk much about your, your radio show, the one that you did have. We don't ever go into that. Because I don't want to toot my own horn. It was destroyed. It was set up. And now why, you know, Michael Vera, you know, being as cool as he is, he, he offered me, believe it or not, Mike, a, a, a spot on his network at one time. And I, and I said, I couldn't. I can't. He's like, well, why? I said, you know, it's still your show. It's like, yes, but look what destroyed it. I wouldn't feel worthy enough because receiving this, remember, slowly no intelligent life could survive there. It gave me... Not just a purpose, it gave me insight of this, something going on as a test. And if my show was affected, which it was, he destroyed it. Maybe I, in order for me to have it back again, maybe this is my own pride or whatever it is, I told myself I can't do that because i got to be worthy to have that type of show because of the vision I had on the States Coast. I was <laughs> rustling NASA's feathers. I was right on their front doorstep in their own county, you know, uh, on the Space Coast. And they tried that might so pull too. But, you know, it would be like, oh, well, you know, play along like nothing. I was in the paper. They had articles written on me, which was really cool. And, oh, but let me, as a digress, in that, in one of those news articles, a NASA correspondent that told the reporter that wrote it that, that Sidonia was so radioactive yes. that they did not want to touch it. Isn't it funny? Now, today, we know it is radioactive because nukes went off. Dr. Brandenburg, you got to get him on. All right, now back to the situation. Right. All right, so, all right, so um, so this was all coming out of time, and these, these experiences, because, you know, look, I was threatened in these two experiences, but then I started thinking, and there was a time where I dropped this, I was convinced that Satan, no, at least, by my upbringing, it has to be because it's so scary, there's something otherworldly here, but then, I, you know, I don't know, I have to have faith and believe in God, and I do believe in God, and I had to ask, King Holy be Jesus to help me, because these are some otherworldly characters, and what I'm dealing with, or even satanic, it's beyond me, but it's part of investigation that damned if I do, damned if I don't, the eyes on me, if attempts were made on my life, of course they would help, that when I would talk, but I would still always be a threat, therefore, when Hoagland wanted me to believe I'm John Connor, I got the message, oh yeah, maybe a year or two later, and, <laughs> but look, just like everything here, it's so strange. But it's meant to be, it's part of acclamation program to get you all used to these faces. So when it is officially announced, you know, like Hoagland once said, said, eh, you know, hey, you know, we already know about that. We heard about it all along, so they won't panic. And now, going to one time, Hoagland was on my show. You want to talk about my show? Three months before I revealed this in 2006, he was on my show. And it was a real special show. He wanted us to prep up for it. You know, he said that people, certain people in high places were listening in, whatever. I mean, you know, I don't know. 
you know, Richard always has that air about him, you know, with his, with his, you know, deep space guys, and you know, and I actually had some experiences with some types like that too. And Richard was starting to get worried and pissed off that, you know, believe your new friends now. You know, I was like, what new friends? The code or the deep space guys calling me? You know, and, and, but anyway, he would say, Gary, let me tell you a story about uh, Edgar Mitchell. Edgar Mitchell worked for NASA, right? He's an astronaut. Right. Did you know that Edgar Mitchell, he was on with Art Bell one time, Gary. You remember that show a few years back? I said, yeah, it was a while ago. Where Art, when uh, Edgar Mitchell admitted on our show that he had to sign certain documents uh, that told him that he could not divulge certain information about things he's seen out there or whatnot or objectives of his mission or whatever, but had to focus with UFOs. So everything that he said, he would have to clear first. Now, you, you following me so far? Of course. And, uh, Mike, all right. So I'm, I'm like, here. oh, okay. And then he goes, so you got to understand, when you work for NASA, you're an employee, and they, they tell you not to say something, and, you're, you know, you, you can't say it. And he goes, now, Gary, I was a NASA consultant. I was like, yeah. He goes, and I, and I had to sign certain documents. That was the first time on any show publication anywhere on Earth where Hoagland admitted that while at NASA, he had to sign certain documents. Hoagland, pro me wrong. These are your words. I'll pull them up for the audio if you call in. Just in case your memory slips from the brainwashing, you obviously might have incurred, you parrot. But because you're repeating everything you have to be told to say. He knows the number here, by the way, Gary. He he knows very well how to how to get in contact with me here live on the air. And he knows how to contact me, too, which is in his code, which I must paint. But I'm not painting anymore, if ever. I made a, I made a look. I made a proclamation. Where's my briefing? You may not understand that. There's a certain few out there that may. And I believe it connects. When's my briefing? Because, you know what I do? I jumped through these hoops. I painted this picture well enough. Look, I have some change for my troubles. Does that sound familiar any of you out there that would also understand? When's my briefing? What does that mean? Okay, look, all I'm saying is that Ben Hogan goes, but, you know, since I worked for, I was a NASA consultant, I had to sign certain documents. But, he says, I didn't come into contact with any, you know, anything with special rulings where, where I would, if I would say anything, I, uh, you know, I would be, you know, put in jail or sent to Leavenworth over. So, not only did he admit, look, he, look, he told this story. When he tells stories, you have to listen to him because a lot of it is metaphors and or parables. And, and that's Mr. Sellier did that too. So is it funny that Mr. Hoagland is following the same model, Richard, that Mr. Chuck Charles E. Sellier, the producer of UFO Diaries, taught me? That's his model. Okay, what's going on behind the surface of the things that we can see? And I'm willing to investigate this further and see what we can find. By the I mean, way, Gary, know, <laughs> in, in 2006, he also posted on, on a form, and I've seen that image on your website, where it, it really is Richard C. Hoagland telling you, first of all, you need a little background in today's television. And then that's when he's <laughs> saying these people were actors playing the role of research staff, artists, photo experts, etc., Yep. He also even said... It was a lie. It was a half-truth and a lie. Remember, on the surface, officially, once I brought this out, looking back now, he freaked the fuck out. It seems he like freaked. it. It and seems he, like he it. He freaked all the more when the secret code, the inside code of the code, he, he knew I'd seen that. And for months, 
couple months, I was studying it every day, and he had me reporting to him a couple a few times a week, letting him know what my progress was. I just thought it was crazy. But when it led up to things about him, again, to John Doe, and did a deal with the Soviets, and, you know, this guy's name was Dick. And I was like, oh, God. And this was described as a press person who was really working as part of this secret intelligence group, which gave him access to these images. He got them out to the Earth scientists. Therefore, not because he's a great guy, the earth scientist and geologist, the Dr. John Brandenburg's possibly here, the, and the others that were like, wow, is they here? he wasn't doing that to favor these guys, to help them. He was doing it as a, to use them as scapegoats, because when it would be found out when the Soviets had these images, and it was, they went to these earth scientists where, in the NASA files in the public where it was found. And it was supposed to be in those files, and therefore the policy went in place. All right, that face is just a trick of light and shadow now, isn't it, people? No, sir. Ah, you want to keep your job? You want to keep your life for all we know? That's a trick of light and shadow. Your group is an organization of NASA, and you scientists, and especially those that have seen these images, you guys are going to be fine. You guys are in serious shit. You're going to listen to everything we tell you to do. You're going to have a public policy of saying it's a trick and light and shadow. And if you even hint at the slight possibility of intelligence, we are going to not only destroy your guys' lives and punish you, we will scrap NASA as a public program altogether. That's what the secret code, the secret history of NASA tells me on the surface in that book. Yeah, you're learning about the Nazis, you're learning about, you know, history and secret space programs, read Dark Moon, everybody. A lot of it was bitten off that. Hoagland proved me wrong. A lot of the same content you had in your book, you're on your dark mission. And you know what? I read it, but I'm not going to break it down and try to find the code like I do in the scripts and audio and, and what I do to paint his pictures now. It, that would be even more harder than what I'm doing now. Right. I do the work. All you people have to do is, is just trudge through it and follow the gist so that your perceptions can be changed so it would be now harder for him to keep his secrets because now he's trying to create confusion to make it hard for you people to determine who to trust, me or him. And those are his exact words in 2013. That was coded in itself. But yet the good news he said it a little bit later, a couple minutes later, by Gary doing what he's doing, the good news. Is that attributed to the scriptural Bible thing? The, the God knows what productions he said publicly I work for? <laughs> the hell further their ratings? Like I'm doing this work to help further God knows what productions? Holy crap. Oh, my God. Is this a war between God and the devil? Is that the two sides that war each other I see in this code? Ah, who are these beings? Something's going on here, Mike, and the bigger disclosure is not just these faces. It's going to be, when the truth is known, people are going to go, Gary, please tell us more of this code. We want to know. Why? Because they're going to know it's intelligent design. I didn't create it, and that someone did, and that, uh, well, ta-da! We're getting the 20, uh, we're getting the Sentinel. And how will always talk about the Sentinel? The Arthur C. Clark, 2001. Did you know, Michael, that obelisk is in the shape of a rectangle, right? Yes. Of course. Okay, now think about this. It originally, Hoagland said, it originally was supposed to be a tetrahedral like the book, like the way uh, uh, inside a inside a sphere, which we also know is the motive and the icon mm -hmm. of the Masons, right? Correct. Uh, but and also and also the circle represent the cover, the cover story. What you people think is the truth, but it's a surface cover story to which we can get inside. We have to dig like an archaeologist. I had to dig. 
this coach showed me like breadcrumbs. Not just I was a detective. I was being shown concepts as if I was in college being uh, learning aspects of what it's like of uh, archaeology, to be an archaeologist and use my mind and dig out this code, dig out this circle, this cover story, to get under the surface, to see the treasures hidden within. The riches, you have to get inside. Inside is the nation where the riches are. The, the treasures on the plane, uh, they're plain. What a plain surface. Geometry. Or, which is a double parallel line, an audio track. <laughs> now, Gary, I, I must well, ask you, Gary, before we go any further, when exactly was it when things started to deteriorate between you and Richard Charles Hoagland? It finale in 2007. From 2006, what, from the very first month I brought this forth, you, you, you look, you brought up those comments there. And a matter of sure. fact, I hope my phone's still on. Am I still on the air? We're still here. Oh, uh, you know what? I, I, I should go to that one of those pictures because that, uh, those very first days, like what you read, Mike, that was what? What was the date on that? Do you see it? Uh, the pit where he says about the, you know, the hose, I mean, the lady being a props, everything's uh, fake, uh, you know, the, uh, how television really works. That was June 5th, uh, two, 20, uh, 2006. June 5th. June what? June 5th. 5th? Mm-hmm. 5th. Okay. Now, I, I think I'm coming up to it now. Okay, this is very. I'm glad you brought this up. I really am. Uh, I found it interesting. Because it's very important. It's very important because the things he says of and this and now and as well as the previous replies by him. Now, mind you, these replies came from his own and his pay to say forum of the Enterprise Mission Conference Center. He calls it, or you know, to where you have access to get the shit's bridge and inside information, boys, to get some money. He tore all this down, erasing my identity, not just erasing this topic, erasing my identity as if I had never been there, like trying to hide, like if anyone ever brought it up. No, he never came here. Oh, no, no, see? But I did, and I showed the proof. Therefore, whoever he lied to or was trying to prevent from me uh, from knowing that I was there, not just the people but someone else, they know he lied because I saved them. I saved the pages. I got the text. And I'm well, I'm, I'm just talking, and in the meantime, while I find this, I'm, uh, because, ah, damn it. No, that's, where is that? It's right, it's gotta be here. Okay. First of all, you need a little background in today's television. In today's. It was made in 1993. That's a long time ago. It's a big difference in today's television. But anyway, the folks depicted in this film, I've done a bit of re- ah, the folks depicted in this film, I've done a bit of research regarding the series this was, I was interviewed for. Now, two, Two uh, messages previously on the third, I believe, the second and third, he said he was too swamped. He, he, he wanted me. He wanted me to do the investigation, to find out info for him, to get him to find out who the producers were. Now you're telling me a couple days later after I start putting up some screen grabs, now, you know, now you're admitting you've done a bit of research regarding what series this was interviewed for, but yet not talk about it? But then he goes, except for me and the other quote-unquote experts, also being interviewed were all wait for it fake actors playing the role of research staff artists photo experts etc now remember the cover story is what you see on the surface and on that video it's a 22 minute long video and you're like okay that's that's a good cover story it's a good story based on the then known research at that time right and no debunking tones to it like for videos at that time would all have for the genre of UFOs, UFOs or anything like that, 
and none whatsoever. And but notice what he says. Actors playing the role of recess that aren't really. Well, that woman, he says, is just a prop. So the technician the glasses isn't a real person at all. <laughs> just She's the prop. a prop. Yes. Now, now the important thing is, really, well, guess what? That prop, he says, is just not a real person. It's an actor. Turns out it's one of the main producer's wives, Mrs. Pedersen, Alan Pedersen's wife. And why was she filmed there? Well, Mr. Shatford said because someone else not wanted to play his part. That was supposed to be there. But notice what Hoagland says in this, in this thing. They're uh, they're cool. All right. That's what television has descended to these days, even National Geographic specials. They're called recreations. Now, he put in quote recreations. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, huh, recreations. Really? And where's the original creation? I want to see it. And Mr. Mr. Sellier attributed that there was an original creation and that this was the, the post uh, production one. The, the post, uh, there was a pre-production and this was the post production. Uh, yes. and, and in the pre-production, he goes, in the pre-production, you would get to hear th and see things that you do not in the, in the, in the post production. And as an example, Gary, I can't, now mind you, I don't, I work with everyone that I've worked with for many years. And the few people I work with, I work for many years. Now, mind you, we don't, I don't go using new actors, uh, you know, new people, whatever. The people I work with uh, and doing this stuff was for day after day, year after year. Richard Holman worked for me for many years, by the way. And, ah, but anyway, and he goes, now, mind you, for everything that went on, obviously, we didn't have many people. We don't go using new people. But for some reason, I can't remember remember who the director was. I can't bring a picture to my to mind, he says. Very important. I can't bring a picture to mind of what? Of who the director is. It's like he was trying to steer me to figure out Gary, just like the Sphinx picture as that lady's holding up the face image next to the Sphinx picture. And all these and all these faces of Mars images, you always see the Sphinx and it's usually looking towards these faces, these images. But there's only one. It's not looking at the well the pictures right next to it. The Sphinx ain't looking at it, it's looking at her. So that's why I said, Hoagland, that's why he wrote this, first of all, background, because I said, Hoagland, is this woman's name Shannon? Oh, Jim Shannon, by the way, the artist, Army Colonel, anthropologist I discuss at length in monuments, is a guy. Fine, Richard, I didn't care about that. I just wanted to know a question, if she was Shannon. Because your words, that she has shown uh, the people on the surface, remember the cover story, where they can see Shannon. You said nothing in that UFO diaries about an artist, Jim Shannon, Army Colonel, all that shit. Uh, so that part ain't important. What, what is important is that you wanted to cover up real quick and attack her. Never mind what she was holding. You wanted to attack her, say she was nobody, a research staff, uh, an art uh, playing the role of. Really? How come then the producer says it's one of the main producer's wives? Now, mind you, Gary, well, I... We don't bring in new actors. We don't bring in new people. But for some reason, I can't put I can't put my finger on who the director was. I, I just I just can't. I just I, I I can't. I don't know. So it's kind of funny. But yet he goes in that pre-production. Getting back to that. Therefore, answering about the recreation. Because if that seems a recreation, I wanted an original creation. Just to reference back to what I'm talking about. So I'm not on a tangent. Do your homework and follow, people. Right, Mike? So, you're doing yours, my friend. And I appreciate that. And so will everyone else soon. Especially when we change the future. I'm not going to get into that now. So, she's just a prop. Okay, fine. 
Sure. Okay. Who is her name? Shannon? Because the Sphinx is not looking at the picture. It's looking at her. Therefore, the question is, okay, how is that picture? Who is she? Richard or she that named Shannon? Nope. By the way, so out of all this tirade, when I got Mr. Shackelford on the air, it blew that tirade and that excuse out of the water. It caught him in a lie, and I still didn't call him out on it. And then he goes, that out of the way, if you can find the name, email, phone number of the actual segment producer who did this Sidonia part of the series, notice how he actually gave us a clue and intel who did this Sidonia part of the series. Really, with the woman? Does that, does that image anywhere look like it was ever given us of Sidonia? No. no. Hoagland was cluing us in on the name of the video. So isn't that funny? Now, therefore, I, uh, if you give me the name, email, and actual segment of the phone number, notice he said if you can find. This was a reassessment from his first reply saying that someone has to do the serious late work for him. He was stuck in a bog at the moment. He was swamped. He was too busy. No, what was the exact words? I'm too swamped at present. Really? Is this a present? Therefore, it's swamping him, and therefore, someone else, me, had to do the serious late work. Now, he's directly saying, that out of the way, if you can find the name, email, meaning me, because it was an address to my question, the email, phone number of the actual segment producer who did this, I don't need a part of the series, I can then call, email him, and hopefully get more info on where the second phase came really from. Then he goes, carry on, really. So, notice he's still hinting. To do the work for him, he tells us that where this is from, Sidonia, he's acknowledging that videotape itself. Because that image, again, does not come from the Sidonia that we now know. <laughs> Maybe the Mars they now know, but not the one we now know. And that's why I'm trying to hunt down these faces. Because maybe we don't need Hoagland. If I find them and they're out there uncovered, I will find them. And then that, that seals the nail. I don't need Hoagland anymore because I know where it is at that point. Logical, but as far as I know, if it's the Mars we now know, there's a fucking crater there. Yeah, now Richard did. I want the truth. Yes, and... I want the truth. Right. I want to see the Mars they now know. How about you, Mike? Of course, I want to see that. And it's, it's even more interesting once you... Um, go back in time to, to 2006 and actually see this post by Richard C. Hoagland. And, of course, later on, uh, two hours later, as you alluded to in this page here, a member named Bones actually posted. And what I've noticed is um, when I compare the two posts together, it, it seems like they were done by the same person. Whoa, whoa, what? Yeah. Bones? Yes, I, I'm pretty sure that's Isn't Richard Hoagland. No, no, no. Mike, 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 let me stop it right there. Keep that thought. It's very important. I know where you're going. But let me say this. Bones. Now, remember, Enterprise Mission, the Enterprise Mission. Everyone on the surface, remember, on the circle. The Enterprise, oh, Hoagland just symbolizes the Enterprise in Star Trek. Bullshit. It's the Enterprise Mission. It's a mission going on. Now, notice he has a guy named Bones. What does Bones represent? Skull and Bones? There you go. All right, Mike, take off. Yes, so I I compared these two posts together, and just by looking at the structure of of each and carefully reading um, the words chosen for both uh, posts, um, I'm pretty sure they were done by the same person. Isn't it interesting? Let's read that post. If this is the one I'm thinking. Oh, it's right underneath. I still think Psy Brother. I still think that Psy Brother is a fake. Also, is that the one? That's the one. Now get this. You may be right. 
And that would show that Hoagland was being more than one identity, which means he's playing cat and mouse, and he's leading this then. Would you not agree then? I'd have to agree. If this is him. I think it's him. Now, look what he says. I think that side-face brother is a fake also. But why would someone fake it? That's what gets me. Exactly. And, of course, all the crickets. Everyone runs the pussies. I mean, 35A72 is in the public domain. That's the main face of Mars that they all love to hate, that the policy was made. There's a trickle light shadow and nothing else, so you'll have no public space program. Anyway, but yet, how did we really find out for them to even come out with an excuse? It was the Soviets who gave us that image first. They showed around the world uh, 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 like it was made from a Xerox machine, a copy of an original. Huh, Mr. Hoagland? As they was, as he met maybe some secret probes that was sent off by the Soviet Union. <laughs> you know, that happened to make it in the Mars mission. What? The Viking mission. The Viking. The probes, they were trying to not only find about Roswell, they were trying to see what we wouldn't see, we would find on Mars. But anyway, let me go on. But why would someone fake it? That's what gets me. I mean, 3572 yeah. is in the public domain, so to speak. Whoa, I am starting to sound like more MR, Mars Revealer, me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> really, though, why would they fake it? Makes no sense. Gary, what is on this? Isn't this interesting? And you may be right, because this would be something Hoagland would pick up on, and I did. And I sat on it for three years, remember? Gary, what yeah. is on the soundtrack at the time of the image on the video? It's like this guy was trying to steer me to something I already found, but maybe helping others to see, because now this is in the public. Remember, this is in the public discussion now. This ain't, you know what I mean? It's just in the PSA forum. Do they point out, get this, let me read the sentence again, because this is incredible. Gary, what is on the soundtrack at the time of the image on the video? Do they point out which they do, right? Do they point out to the audience that this is the face on Mars or is nothing said and the, or is it, uh, the, this is the face of Mars is in quotes or is nothing said? It's just fade in and fade out, dot, 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 question mark. Whoa, because mm. it does do that. It's like he's trying to tell us what else to look for. And when I do find that, it's actually a riddle for that particular scene that it's a riddle that if we see it and solve it, it leads us right back to the beginning opening line. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible, but, but when he says, yes. but when he says this face on Mars, it's that one from the opening line, but it's shown zoomed up. By the way, Gary, Isn't that incredible? it's incredible. But another thing I just noticed right now, checking um, my my service oh, provider, the guy who made the image afraid of getting sued or something. <laughs> I yes. doubt it. Weird, Richard, is that you? Uh, yes, but hold on. The- if these are fakes, if these are fakes, someone made them. Now, Mr. Sellier, back oh, hold, to yes, hold, a second. Yes, hold that. About what Mr. Sellier hold that said second. Hold about that. what we would see on the pre-production right. tape. Yeah, he Gary, said hold. On the pre-production tape, Mike, hold on. Okay, Please. okay. He goes on the pre-production tape, we would see and hear things we did not see on the final, right? On the post-production. Mm-hmm. Post means after, pre, pre, obvious. So, he said you would get to hear the director say, look, no, this is what you do, move over there. Really? He just told us in the same show, not even 45 minutes earlier or 20, whatever, that he couldn't, he didn't remember who the director was. He couldn't put, bring a picture of who it was. He couldn't say, yeah, I just can't remember. But yet, 
he on these tapes, he was remembered clearly enough 20 minutes later to say on the pre-production tape, we would see and hear things that was not in the post. We would get to hear the director tell the, the tell the host what to do, walk around. And isn't that incredible? What was Mr. Sellier trying to say? And then he said this. The fascination with Richard Holdland and the fa- and my fascination with the faces of no the fast my fascination with the faces of Mars for me and my face fascination with Richard Holdland who was the big mover and shaker and all that isn't that interesting? He's trying to tell us that not only did he say Gary these images came from Holdland and NASA I mean one of him is going to say yeah those are ours yeah the opening line he was connecting to and to tell us that Holdland and NASA are one and the same guy. It's a coincidence now this with this code, Hoagland himself, and how I have him painting what's yeah, really going on using his voice, but unofficially right. to make it safe to be seen, safe that he will not get killed because he's not acknowledging it. He's fighting me on the surface. He's doing everything he can to speak out, uh, not even about this, but against me and anyone who asks about it. Why? Well, yet... Being the guy who behind, hey, look, look, I'm steering away. Gary's doing this as a way to kick my ass. Although now Gary's learning, I'm kicking my own ass because he's helping me to do my work because I can't talk about it yet unless 2% of you call in and demand it and show your evidences that you're calling in and or emailing them, he says on B. Wells, and he will not feel psychologically alone, that psychologically alone, and B. Wells said psychologically cloned. Hogan goes, yo, psychologically alone, because then I can come out and acknowledge the ruins of there myself. Isn't that intriguing? Right. Now, so, back to, now I digress enough, back to what you, we were talking about. Yes, Don't mind. Gary, just quickly here, one thing. remember. <laughs> Right. One one thing I did find interesting that just now, a few minutes ago, I was checking out um, the service pro- provider I have for for the stream that we're on, um, sending this digital uh, signal out there to the world. This digital stream. Um, I'm looking at the website here, and I could see who's logged in. And um, do you know exactly? Where Richard Hoagland lives in New Mexico, because there was someone from Albuquerque who was on here for a couple minutes, and then they tuned boom, out. Boom, boom, that's one. Placidus is, and or another one. Look, but look, I'm not, I don't want to give him the impression. I know where you live, Mr. Hoagland, and I'm not very far from you, as you know. Now, if I was such a scumbag, you think you'd still be sleeping sound at night? You lying prick. Yes, I'm talking to the Dick Hoagland, not the guy I know is Richard Hoagland, the guy I love inside of NASA. You're, the guy I'm fighting, why does this sound confusing? It sounds like I'm helping him. Look, put these two guys in one. He has split personalities, man. That's what he's alluding to in this code. I have split personalities. It's a war within NASA, a war within myself. I need some Xanax or something. And that's the humor part of it. But it's also the code part of it to help us see Really, what his work is really trying to do, the which I, I firmly believe, if I succeed with this, I will, the only way to validate my work and that it will be validated is by him doing it. And the way, the way him having to do it is by me validating his. He cannot be validated, and nor can I unless we validate each other. And in these videos, that's what we're doing till the end point comes. But I can't do that myself. I need 2% of you listeners to grow some balls and take a stand and dare to ask questions and don't take no for an answer. Correct. And Gary, you we, want the truth. Gary, we're talking about that, that uh, post he made on that message board. Now, keep that in mind. Now, let's fast forward in time to when he had his own radio show on the other side 
of midnight, I believe it's called, and you would call in to With that program. Yes, and you would call a new dawn, and you would call into that program asking about the um, the UFO diaries, and he would act and delude that you are a stalker and that there's nothing there, Gary. And um, if there's nothing there, uh, Gary, then why are we still talking about this today? And going back to those posts in 2006, hmm, interesting how he sort of forgot he made those posts, correct? <laughs> He's brainwashed. Remember, at that 2013 conference of Awake and Aware, really asleep and not a clue by Kerry Cassidy, a project scan a lot, uh, who aided and uh, who aided and became co-conspirator to suppress this and continue harm against me and my family and against you all, but what your fucking monies. Yes, your fucking monies, because they're robbing you. And yet, when this came up, my presence was there, and I wouldn't even have to physically be there. So, what Hoagland said, I'm forcing more people to ask deeper and better questions. That was Mr. Anthony S. Sanchez. I'd love to talk to him again, though he threw himself under the bus because of the slide he chose. But look, they tried to spunk me and spank me and bring around Camelot's guys a couple days before that event. And I got that off on YouTube. And it's not pretty. Yeah, I do get loud. And you know what? I'm in a fight. But when it's against these people and against the very ones who decided to put out slander against me saying I'm being hit by beam weapons and support of Hoagland in, in order to allow this to go without questioning him publicly, unless he was willing to set up a paid event to where he could come on with them and me, to where they get paid. That was her words, really. And, and so, therefore, at that event, me not being there, but my presence was there, I was using the force, <laughs> and he gave out such a speech. Me, uh, bad about me, but it was all coded, because once I, uh, I broke it down for you, and it's many hours worth, believe it or not, and it's really, and I think it was a test then. He was trying to see, because this was the first time since 2006, that he decided to come out publicly and talk about this was at that panel answer. It was it was such a jumbled answer. People it, it went under everyone. Like, he acknowledged people like looking at me and saying, "What the hell is he doing?" That doesn't make sense. Why? Because Hoagland was saying Gary Gary Lazier, Mad Martian. Yeah, that's his name. Unfortunately, that's somewhat real. You know, I'm crazy. I need help. That uh, that I'm being used. I was sent off as a misguided missile by the dark side, by the bad guys to try to get at their work and their research. Doesn't that sound so full of himself? I mean, yeah. but yet he was trying to lead. Look, it, was, it helped me see at that particular day, that was, I was like, oh, my God, now I'm confirming it. He's confirming it because now I'm painting this picture. He knows it's like he knows I was going to see it. I'll get the gist because at the end of that, he brought up about a story about the astronauts being in front of an, uh, the president and that, uh, what did one of the astronauts say? Uh, they, they compare them to, to Paris, that they, they're, they're about, something about truth protected layers being protected and, you know, uh, what, truth protected layers. <laughs> Again, a covering. So, you know, and, uh, about, what was it? Uh, damn, Richard, I wish you would could call in now and then you are a good guy. You can explain this shit. Because you're the guy who could, but I do explain it using your words. So you people have to listen and watch my videos to hear him <laughs> explain it himself. So you could have your conscience change. But he goes, you know, they alluded to themselves. That, no, they, they were speaking in such a blatant code that it was so obvious they were speaking in the code. And he goes that out of all the astronauts, only one of them, the one high, held in highest esteem 
would be able to remember everything. Everyone else was brainwashed. Now, and, and, he, and then he goes, he compared the astronauts to being like parrots, you know, and, and then Hogan goes, what are parrots good for? You know, besides flying. And I said, well, I don't know, you know, getting shot down or anything. Or, you know, I was come, trying to come up with something comical. But then when I, once the face of understanding came in my mind and my mind of intelligence that got better, that taught the how to think, about, especially about this shit, uh, I was like, no way. He goes, no, they're best for repeating what they are told. So out of all these astronauts, this one astronaut who wasn't, he was real, real taciturn about the things he said. Again, I attribute it back to what he said in 2006, three months before, about Edgar Mitchell. Remember about needing to say things about, about what he can and cannot say. It was like he knew what to say, how I could see it and attribute it to know where he was going. But, and he goes, now, you people will see me basically saying it at that conference. I'm repeating things that are told to me. Now, and that those persons that are saying those scripts, those are his exact words. The people saying those exact scripts have to believe their scripts. But then he goes, that doesn't mean we have to. Holy shit, I started cracking up. He admitted it. He admitted it. Only if you see the way that I painted it, did my homework and broke down this code to lay out what he was saying. Oh, my only. Oh, my. That's only we have to believe him. He has to believe his scripts. That's why he has to slander me. That's why he can't even touch UFO diaries. He'll attack you. And as a matter of fact, something's telling me, Michael, is your phone ringing? Is your phone ringing? Is someone trying to call in? Something's going on. I feel it vibe in the force. Am I wrong? Someone wants to call in. Let's talk about this, shall we? Because, as a side note, Mike, if there is, let him on. Uh, regardless. But uh, So, if they're, therefore, they're being compared to parrots. They have to believe their scripts. Then he goes, as he's sitting down, it doesn't mean we have to. Us, that's watching the side show. That's watching what's on the surface. And those who obviously now can see that they can't keep their secrets no more, who? NASA and Hoagland. Ha, because they're one and the same guy. We got him. And he helped us get him. Isn't that interesting? He helped us in later years, especially by leaving Dark Mission and all that crap, uh, on his own show, he laid out the seeds himself where I had the opportunity, like you said, to confront him. A person did. Yes. One person did. It said about Mr. Selye. I want to get back to this because I fight for him, too. He helped me and my family with the upturn up of $20,000 over time and humiliation. That man is a Christian, and he helped me, but that's not why. Because maybe he knew who would receive this, and he couldn't say or do anything more, he kept telling me. But I kept calling him even up to five hours, five and a half hours, before the report came out that he was killed. Oh, sorry, mysterious circumstances passed in his own home. But yet the caller that called in from Austria, Australia, or Germany, with that type of accent, said to Mr. Holdman, oh, well, you know, after being attacked about UFO diaries, it said, nothing, it's nothing to discuss. Well, I just want to know, you know, you know Mr. Celia, you know, you know, he's dead now. Oh, no. well, that's just such a shame, Holdman says. And he goes, well, uh, uh, then no one could ask what he meant about anything. And then for the first time, and I want to know who this was, for the first time ever, anywhere on me doing research, short of having disrespect to call Mrs. Cellier, which I did not do. I felt too bad even for my own guilt. And let alone out of respect, you feel me? I'm day. All right? This guy calls in that next statement out of his mouth. He shot himself. I'm like, I dropped my shit. What? And then Mr. Hoagland's answer? Well, 
maybe whatever he was covering was too much. Perhaps. Tell me, that don't sound like a snake. It Trying does. to cover up, but yet give us intel. Saying it without saying it, like keep saying it without saying it. <laughs> Billy, I'll tell you something right now. All right, you people, you got a lot to learn, and those so-called friends and associates of mine and yours, Hoagland, from back in the day, you anomaly hunters, you're going to be destroyed. The only one that is gaining himself credibility again is George Haas. He's seen the harm done, and he also sees the logic. And Mike, believe it or not, that's another guest you should have on, George Haas. Guess what he admitted on Mike's show? What's that? He, he's, he confronted other people that were in that UFO Diaries video. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Other people in that video, like Stan McDaniel, big names that were connected to that research at that time and are connected with Hoagland. Stanley McDaniel, Dr. Mark Carlotto. Ah, now naming bigger names, okay? Boom. Can I say more? Watch the fucking video, people. Uh, By the way, Gary, Gary, hold on. Gary, one second. We are joined by another caller, I think. Um, Caller, are you there? Okay. Before you bring him on, let me finish this piece, all right? Uh, because uh, it's he's, important. he's already on, he asked Gary, these by members. the way. He asked, hold on, whoever call it, give me a minute, all right? Uh, please. All right, now, think about this, Mike, and Caller and everyone else out there. George Haas said he confronted them. Now, they, these guys are mainstream or, well, side, you know, he's affiliated through NASA. Either way, officials up the ass, too. Might as well say that. But we'll yeah, say this. Out right of the respect of that. fellow Morris researchers, he asked them who were in that video. They're a part of a group called SBSR. They've been getting papers and articles recently, even dealing with a face on Mars in actual scientific American Journal. Did you guys know that? That's a mainstream thing. Now, when he confronted them about this, they did not answer him, except that they shown their uncomfort their their uncomfortability no, with this subject. They did not want to answer, and guess what? He also <laughs> said, "Well, the only thing that I could tell you." Is that what makes them uncomfortable? Oh, Gary, you already pretty much know. They're all connected back to the one same guy who you're trying to get info from. That was it. And I got what they meant. No one else could talk about it. But obviously they know something's going on. They they either know or knew. And something happened between Hoagland and these guys, each individual, in the past as well. And I'm betting these faces are at the heart of it. Prove me wrong. Torlato, call on in. I asked you on my show in the past. You didn't, we didn't talk about this, but now that I'm in this light, I want to talk to you. McDaniel, I want to talk to you. Even Vicki Cooper Ecker, Don Ecker's wife of Dark Matters Radio, who at that time, UFOs Tonight, Hoagland was on his show in the very year this video was completed, 93. He was talking about the Mars Observer loss, talking about the face, and not once did he mention, hey, I just got done naked UFO diaries. Guess what I brought to the picture? What's wrong with this picture when these people today don't want to fucking speak up? And I got to curse and yell and scream to do the job that they should be more capable than myself to do. Who's the crazy? All right, Mike, I apologize to you, my friend. Just like I do to Varel and you, caller. Go ahead. Gary. If you're still there. One second, Gary. Caller, are you alive? <laughs> oh, crap. I hope he's Caller. Or she. Caller. Please call again. True fact, I heard that. Can you hear us? Back in the day. Caller. That voice sounds familiar. Caller, what's going on? Paul is there. He said something about back in the day. Am I even on now? Yeah, you're on. I don't think he could hear us, though, for some odd reason. Have him call in again. I'm telling you, something. I got a vibe. I got a vibe. Something, a powerful discussion possibly coming here. Maybe it's somebody involved. 
That would be great, wouldn't it, Mike? Wouldn't it would. It, it really so would. The collaboration. So maybe someone that, that sees throughout the years what's been going on with me, that has a heart, that knows that my physical self was threatened as well as my violation of civil rights was done to me. Criminally. All criminal acts. For what? Color. fucking fakes on the video wall that zooms by that most people not see. You have to freeze frame it to capture that UFO. <laughs> UFO diaries. Yes, indeed. I think we might have lost yes, our caller, by the way. Please call back, caller. But, uh, Michael, it's very interesting where we're going now. So out of those words out of Hoagland's mouth, even on his show, and on his show, he'll hang up on me. And one time he goes, Gary, yeah. Gary, we will not be relitigating this. And I was like, and I should have said, relitigating? We have not begun to litigate, because in order to litigate, it has to be a court proceeding. Or was Hoagland alluding that this code told me that, as he well knows, that down through time, this was a new hearing. Alluding to a previous hearing that was secret, but one that in the future, when you have a new rehearing, this time in a different court, the court of public opinion. Was that the relitigation Hoagland was trying to, hey, Gary, this is a hearing, trying to maybe poke at me, let me know that that part of the code is right too? Because look what he said. Oh, we're not really going to relitigate this. You know, there's nothing to it. And, you know, it's always hang up, hang up. I'm not going to change just to be heard. I'm not going to tone down or kiss his ass. He did a lot of things he's got to answer for. I need recompense. I want payback. I deserve it. But the most of all, and that's the personal side of me. But as the one fighting for us all, as the principal investigator into this for us all, we all deserve this truth. And how, you know, I can't, it was given to me. It could have fell on anyone else's lap. It could have been mailed to anyone else. Again, who mailed it to me? Could have been Holger himself for all I know. But it could have been Mr. Sully. It could have been the fucking Morrisons. By the way, I think the caller is. And I mean that. And I mean that, literally, by the way. Caller, are you alive there? I don't think he's alive. I don't hear nothing. Yeah, I don't hear anything. I'm sorry. Did he call back in? Yeah, he called in and he's on now, but I, I... Don't know what's going on. I don't think he can hear us. So, um, by the way, Gary, is he calling in on Skype? Yeah, it's not or working. Or is he using the phone? No, he's calling in through Skype. That's not going to work. But by, by the way, Gary, quickly here. That's why I'm on the phone with you tonight. That's why I'm on the word. phone with you tonight. Exactly. Because I couldn't use Skype. So mm-hmm. call in on the phone line, uh, whoever you are, please. Yes. And, I mean, I have a feeling about you. And um, Gary, I'm I did want to know right? about. I did want to know about another gentleman named Keith Laney. Um, what's his deal? Reach around. Once good, once supposedly good friend, fellow colleague, an anomaly hunter. We, we made, we were part of a group back in the day while, uh, I was being, you know, prepped for enterprise by Mr. Hoagland there. He would take me in, but yet I was still a part of a larger network that was not there in, in Hoagland's confidence. And that was the anomaly hunters. Keith Laney was amongst them, amongst Sorry George Haas and many others, many others. You know, and, but again, Haas, in the most, in the least, has done the most to redeem himself. Mr. Laney, reach around, pussy, everything else. Yeah, what are you going to do, Laney? What are you going to do about it? Call it in if you have a gripe. Prove me wrong, you pussy. No, I don't respect hmm. you as a serious researcher. You, all you want to do is put people on your site to hmm. give the impression you're a serious Mars researcher. But I'll tell you what, Laney, and everyone else of those that uh, were there with me at that time, that are all affiliated with each other, Hoagland would not have been able to do to me and mine if any of you pricks opened your mouth, had an ounce of balls. No, no, I'm the only one that did, and then you sided with him, ostracized me just to gain favor. Notice, all, all of a sudden you were reached around. You started becoming part of his books. You started becoming part of him. 
Why? In order to not side with me, you had to cancel your sides with me. You had, you had to not share opinions or research with me anymore. You had to drop me and label me as crazy, which you did openly on your website, too, you prick. You're a fake, and you're a fraud. And when this comes out to be truth, all those that helped harm me are going to feel it. They're recompensed, because they're not going to be at the table of light and truth when I sit down. I promise you that. Remember, this thing was based on also codes of law. I mentioned that this was a rehearing for a different court of a public opinion. Those who speak out in it will also feel their recompense because just like in a normal court, remember, there's an intelligence down to time here. Think of this as divine punishment or something else, but someone else is doing the handiwork of what will be, what will not, who will be, who will not. That I'm convinced. And that's why I'm not trying to go off to his house, break in and go to prison and so put a gun to his head. That all those things he said, I said I did, or there's evidence of, show it, $2,000. I never did any of that or said any of that. I was concerned about your welfare, Mr. Hovland, because it said failure to appear, <laughs> to the record, to tell the truth, to come clean, not whitewash the lies of stolen. Why, why those words? Gee, guess why? Uh, not whitewash the lies, and they want their money back. And failure to appear will cause a warrant of a... This is what I did say publicly, and it's not my words. He knows it. By failure the way, yes, Gary, hold on one second. A warrant of arrest yes. to be issued. Gary, one second. Type if, of arrest was described. Right. Type of arrest yes. was described as follows. His chest shall be cracked open. Hundreds will appeal in his funeral. That's right. not my trick. Go ahead. Gary, Gary, one second. If anyone wants to call in, uh, that number is 760-332-8724. That number should be working. And caller, if you are trying to, trying to join in through Skype, um, that's not going to work. Please go back and use 760-332-8724 or forever hold your peace. And uh, yes, hold keep, your peace. yeah, hold your peace if you're not going to be able to get through here. And if you're, if you're Mr. Hoagland, we know what peace you're holding. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, Mr. Hoagland. It's, it's been very interesting tonight, Gary. These shocking revelations. Well, it, yes, it's been all over the place. I admit, as usually it, it can tend to be. But you got to follow this these archives. You got to follow the data because I also lay out what I lay out as the proof and the stepping stone of evidence uh, down through time of my steps and showing my work of where I'm at for those down through time to see that progress. And that includes everybody, every one of you. At some point in time, it will all become relevant. And that's what science does. That's what scientists do. They leave a track no matter how it makes them look based on where the data leads them. Even if it's the craziest story, well, <laughs> never mind this planet, then the cosmos. You know, another thing I but found, that's what it is. another thing I found interesting, Gary, was when, um, Art Bell was being interviewed. You actually called in to that program and you asked him uh, to present your case on his program and you offered him a great sum of money. He Isn't also, that sad? He also... Isn't um, that sad? Yes. He also, he also alluded to saying that you're the stalker. <laughs> yeah. I said, Art, you know who I am. I mean, you know, he's like, yes, yes, I do know. And then I was like, all right, so, you know... You know, you're going to you need your help, you know, basically. Oh, you're Hoagland Stalker. I was like, oh, I said, no, I'm not Hoagland Stalker. Uh, th therefore, by Art Bell saying it, he he is saying it without saying it. So it looked good to where he can't be sued? Bullshit. Because he said, you're Hoagland Stalker. After he knew my name, he knew who I was, 
Uh, look, I've talked to him several times in the past. Granted, I was never a guest, but uh, we'll try and call him. Oh, all right. Sorry, I was digressed by a message real quick. So, oh, yeah, he goes, so therefore, he is alluding to everyone else that's listening, confirming, yes, Hoagland's right. That's his stalker. Therefore, I'm labeling you that. And I said, no, I'm fucking not. Don't fucking say that shit. And, uh, you know, that's a lie. He goes, yeah, that's who you are. And I was like, no, I'm not. I just told you it's not. You know who I am. Matt Marshavealer, Gary, you know who I am. He, he kept wanting to allude that I'm the stalker. Like, but he sounded excited. And I was like, oh, since when do you turn, do, do you turn from controversy? No, I, I embrace it. You embrace it? And then what? Excuse me. No, I wasn't hitting there. I just had fun. Um, <laughs> but then why don't then why don't you embrace it? You know, oh, you're all the stalker. I mean, he just wanted to focus on that. But mainly, he, he would have talked to me, and it sounded like he was wanting to. He said, "Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about that. Remember?" But then that MV asshole had to jump in and make it about him. Oh, you stepping on my parade. Let me make you look better, you know, because you're not going to talk to my guest. I've been waiting so many years to talk to him. Basically, he, he was he was feeling he he, he was licking our those nuts. Pardon the French, but he it's was he was so happy. But so when the top, like you said. Not me, Mike. It's a subject that's the biggest subject you've had on your show. And I it is agree. Because it's the biggest disclosure right in front of your noses. The biggest disclosure. That Remember, it's not going to come to us the way we all think, he says. So it's code. This is the disclosure. So all of them, even my MV, failed that test. Surely no intelligent life can survive there was proven. You get it? I mean, all this, anyone that, that back to the court thing, therefore, whether it's a show host, a person on the forum, anyone that puts in the public, as I do my words right now, remember, for those down through time, they're going to see those person's words. And what happens to people when they falsely come out and in and, and, and defense and bear false witness? In the court forum, what happens to that person? Not only do they become impeached, they can also be arrested. Because it's a crime to lie. And there's also not you motherfuckers that's being called in the court who's speaking on behalf of him, acting as if in defense of him, as if you could, as if you knew how to reply or to react to anything regarding this case. Therefore, you impeach yourselves. Surely no intelligent life can survive there. You fail. You don't deserve the disclosure. And whatever divine judgment this is and part of is going to answer, you're going to answer for that. Hey, if they're threatened with Hoagland with a, uh, a type of an arrest for not appearing, if he fails to appear, his chest will be cracked open. What does that usually incl incline and imply? A cardiac arrest. Oh, well, it's an arrest, isn't it? And Fitz, it's the code, and I worry about that with him. I don't want him dying that way. I don't, but maybe this is it. If, if we can make it safe to be seen by you people calling him and showing your proof, like Mike or Mike Vera, show those emails. Mike, did you email Hoagland tonight? I sure did. Before the show and invite I, him on? I sure Thank did. You. Did you get a reply? Of course not. Right. But you have that there for the record need be to be placed up that you did that, didn't you? Correct. Therefore, that would be seen by those down through time as a factual thing. And that just you being here and even speaking to me and allowing me to speak with these other so-called hosts, you know, oh, big wigs, like you mentioned, coast to coast, and their complicitness. And then once that happened between George and Richard, why? Well, he, George, he could have got back at Hoagland instantly. Look how how much 
He put down George and insulted George once he went to Art Bell's network. He even said that George wasn't that smart of a guy. Don't you think then George would have called me, had me on? Hey, world, hey, I remember this guy. Let's hear what he has to say. He hasn't. Why? Because I think they're all in on it. They have to find something that maybe they're given a little piece of the truth and they can't ask no more. Why? Because it's part of Hoagland's dark mission. He's an operative. And why is he on all these big places in control of these big people or able to steer potential people who are going to be big? Michael and Michael Vara, end of days. Oh, yeah. The golden carrots. And therefore, if you bite the golden carrot, the dark side planners win because they would control your archives. They control what you get to say, what you not to say. Or you could take a walk and not make your money anymore that they're going to offer you. Hoagland is one of the reasons why. Hoagland's one of the reasons why we were not on that network. Oh, indeed. We talked about that on this show, too. That yeah, one time. You, you know, it's you true. told me that they were uh, trying to butter you guys up to, for a position or something, but you guys seen through the bullshit. You, I'll give down your kudos there. Yeah, I saw it a long time ago. I knew it was all lies. I knew it wasn't going to go through. <laughs> and, and then the thing that Mike Vera proved, thanks to him, he proved, Mike and everyone else, the conspiracy about this. I, am I crazy? Ask Michael Vera. He, he'll tell you right away. The first thing out of their mouths, I'm talking of Golden Carrot, hey, we'll give you a show on this network, even before Art Bell comes on. All right. You know, great. Yeah, get a whole shitload of listeners, right? Oh. But you can't have that Mad Marsh. Hoagland doesn't want him on. Hoagland don't want him on? That means Hoagland was the main decision maker to tell that Art Bell would tell Mike, that's the deal. You want on this network? You want fame? You want you want a price? You have to follow Hoagland? I thought it was Art Bell's network. And look what happened from that cacophony there, from all that shit that went on, and Mike exposing the conspiracy that uh, not... Art Bell is in charge. On the surface, people think Art Bell was coming back, but no, he wasn't, was he? No, if anything, Art Bell helped create the network in order to help Hoagland perform his dark mission was, again, because of this. So I could call in, wet people's whistles, we could create such a sideshow, get people alluded to this shit, but I didn't give in. I didn't keep calling in. He even had a phone ringing all the time alluding that it was me that it's his stalker, and I became a character for everyone to laugh at and everyone to enjoy, because then when I would call in and be pissed, to them it would only confirm the call the ringing phone. Does that make sense now, you Nazi? How? I'm filling in the pieces for you. It's just sure as hell makes sense. And he tried, but I wouldn't give in. But I took, at times I did take opportunity to call in, but sometimes you got to. And I got to get him on the record and to prove some things to myself. And, you know, He's avoiding it. He's covering up. And therefore, if you're someone else, oh, you're one of those people. Or, or, or you're, you're not worthy of being you're one of those people. But uh, you know what? Wait, why are you saying there's a group of people, the people who are listening, <laughs> who are one of those people who are into UFO diaries on the show you do not want knowing talking about? You're doing a whole lot of talking and not talking. Isn't that odd? Isn't it odd after the conspiracy was exposed by Mike Vepper again, and, and therefore Hoagland was the one with the reins on that? Right. Isn't it funny, not too long later, Art Bell gets Hoagland off his network? <laughs> That's interesting. Why? Maybe, hey, this is my Marsh is making me look bad. You know why? Because now I upped it to 500 for Art Bell to have me on. 25 now on end of days, Art Bell. That's going up uh, 500 bucks since the last time. 
on last uh, late night in the Midlands a few weeks ago or a month ago where I offered you 1500 and then 2000 Now it's 2500 Do the right thing. Oh, this time, all right, Richard, you got to go. Maybe for all we know, maybe Art tried to ask him about it. Maybe he said, you know what? You're done. I can't take no more. You're not telling us. Maybe, the, but he's not confronting me. Maybe because he signed some, or because there's no history, and he doesn't want to make Oakland look bad after all that history. Because then I would expose Art to himself for being a sucker. For all those years. But yet, Art, Art, listening to you over the years, you always knew there was something with Hoagland. I would hear you. I'd hear it in the things you say. Richard, can you see it now, Hoagland? Yes, I see it now. Do you see it now, Art? <laughs> yeah. Hey. Uh, maybe you see your words, put them back in your mouth. But I'm not saying anything you would now disagree with, would you? Just like Mr. Shackelford said about Mr. Hoagland, how Mr. Hoagland's words were used and uh, the, uh, in the script where he not wanted to say things. They scripted it. And, and, and the, it's like Mr. Shackelford wanted me, like, Gary, listen, this is how we do it. This is how you got to look at it. Oh, this, well, Mr. Hoagland, we're not using anything, uh, you know, that that you didn't say before that you would disagree with. We're just using their own words, putting them back in their mouth. Isn't that interesting? And that's what I've been doing to paint these videos. And they have gotten better over time. The most recent and the more better. It has gotten clearer. He's, he's more, well, more clear and predicting of what he says inside these things, of where it's leading us. Some of it, I'm not, I'm not even going to say because, you know, some of it is unbelievable and it could be symbolic. And like I said, I, it's not all flipped yet, the Rubik's Cube, but it's there. It's just about there. We got some sides, but we got a couple sides to work on. All right. Now think of it like that. Not, you, you know, and this not, this is something that you all cannot just get five-minute answers for. You don't pay the whole for that shit, you people. You, I've seen you pay hundreds to sit there for 12 fucking hours until we got thrown out listening to this guy, and he never presented these images. So don't disrespect me. Like, I have to provide you with a service that you would pay him hours and get nothing for. I don't know you shit. I'm looking for allies. I'm not looking for fans. I'm not in charge of a radio show now. Mike, you alluded to that earlier. I need to win what helped kill it. I need to kill what killed it. In order to wear it as my crown so that no one would ever take my show again. And no one, especially Holden, would ever control or be a threat to my show again. Because these images in that same 2013 Awake in the Lair conference, so he coded it, even loading to him, I won't say it now, but he gives us the intel that they're worth a fortune. They're worth a fortune. So think of the player or players, he would say, who gets there first and brings out any technologies or anything they may find. Yeah, at where? At Cydonia. <laughs> Again, oh, yes. the UFO Diaries episode. Well, guess who got there first? And if I find them, they're worth a fortune. Therefore, I could do my show. I'll have that fortune from those images, whatever that means, to have that show and then to enable it to create the vision for space that I wanted that will literally shape the future of this nation's place in space. Wonderful. Now, Gary, I do want to thank you for being on the program. We are getting close to the end here, but I do want to leave you with the final word, of course. Go ahead, Gary. And also... Uh, dude. Uh, sorry, I've been final wording your whole show, and Mike Varys, I apologize. Right. You know how I feel. You know, it, but it's just so much. It's just so much here. This ain't hoopla. It sounds like the rantings of a crazy man. There ain't. There's evidences. Do your homework. It's there. Follow it. I do it for you. All you got to do is cast the gist, change the consciousness, and then grow some balls, and help him not feel psychologically alone, because then he can come out and acknowledge the ruins of them himself, because it'll be safe to be seen, and he won't. Oh, whatever. Look, like Mitchell, 
why he couldn't say nothing. You know, things can happen. You know, it was, so therefore many people are guessing it. Hey, Hoagland obviously knows it. He just can't say nothing. Therefore, oh, let's just keep watching Hoagland. Oh, therefore, we know what he did to this guy. But we won't give a fuck. We won't ask him because his life's threatened. But we'll keep paying him for him not to lie and not bring us the truth. Therefore, he's a deceiver. He's not a deliverer of the truth unless you see behind his eyes his true self, the guy inside who wants the truth free. But NASA, the guy on the outside, is controlling him and not allowing him. That's what it boils down to. It's not about me. It's not all about me. It's got me in it. And their eyes on me for a place in the, in this crazy timeline of an alternate future I believe they're trying to create with this shit. But until then, we are in the end of days, and the Martian revelation is upon us all now. All you Nazis, the disclosure's right in front of your face, and you're actually helping Hoagland fail. You think you're helping him by not listening to me, or not taking my advice, or not calling him, or not wanting to know. Then what the hell are you in this for if you don't want to know? Are the faces of Mars? Who else anywhere, anytime, has even claimed that's bringing out other faces of Mars? Therefore, when people say, oh, there's nothing new here that's being excused to me by people, really? That sounds like what Hoagland and Dr. Tweedy Robin would tell people and tell their people, their little minions that work for them, to tell people that there's nothing to see there like Nori did. Really? Nori didn't even know what fucking video this was from. That's true. Give me a break. Nothing new here. Everything's new here, and it's a new end of days upon us, and the, as well as the Martian revelation. Mike, you rock. You're my other brother. Grow some nuts more and keep more. You got the nuts. You got them, and you got them grabbed. Now, let them out. Let them forth and let them be seen. Because you're right now, again, you're at the feet of the end of days. And remember, it's a fortune to be had, and it's not just about me. The starting gun is fired. Remember I said before I sign off, the UFO diary said, uh, the planet Mars is wrapped around, uh, you know, the planet Mars we now know is covered with gigantic mountains, meteor craters, and deserts that reach around the entire planet. And one thing more, a giant sculpture that many scientists now, which means their scientists now claim, was created by some unknown race of intelligent beings. Get it? An unknown race. Of intelligent beings. We're asked the question, surely no intelligent life can survive? The starting gun fucking fire in 2006. The race is almost over, according to Hoagland. We're getting at the end of this acclimation period. Am I the turtle or am I the rabbit? And how many else are on this track even? You see, we all need to win. I can't win alone. And that's not going to be a tortoise in the hair. I need 2% of you. 2%. That's it. If there's a 1,000, I need, what is that, 200? Or Yeah. Right, ten percent of the thousand two hundred. So if there's ten of you, I need two of you, or one of you. However that works, do the math. I just need two percent of you to have balls, and and then we can we can we can make him acknowledge this because it'll be safe for him to do it. It has to. They have to see whoever these powers behind this, behind this Brookings Institution Brookings plan of acclimative disclosure as a test as a means to determine if we will get disclosure to see if we're intelligent enough to deserve it. If not, they think that we're, we're not good enough, we're not ready. Is that how you people feel? Keep on guessing at these UFO videos. Go to your conferences, you fucking liars and frauds. Oh, I'm a book writer. Oh, you're attacking everyone. Really? I'm not attacking you, but obviously you must feel uh, some kind of... Uh, 
animosity to me because obviously you must have a conscience. And I'm tickling your conscience because what you're doing is wrong. You're not pursuing the truth. You just want the limelight. You just want to say, hey, look at me. You want to be an underkill, but you don't want to learn how to do the research and or what research to do to get that kill. Because now, like Mike said, this is the biggest subject that's ever crossed his lap. It's not me, okay? He's had smarter people on than myself. But this is the subject that transcends myself. It, it, it connects to us all. It connects to him. It connects to Mike Vara. It connects to Art Bell. It connects to, really? Tom, people, wake up. It connects to you, that you're the ones under the test. Surely no intelligent life can survive there. Where? In the end of days. Good night, everybody. Thank, thank you, Gary, once again for an amazing interview. And there he goes, folks. Great, great interview there with Gary the Mad Martian. Great guest. I do want to thank all of you for being here tonight and catching this very special edition of the Michael Deacon program. Always an honor to be here behind the microphone. Always an honor to spend some time with you. And of course, you can catch me again on the 24th when I will be speaking to Eve Lorgan. That is going to be another fantastic program and I won't be here on the 28th. For the Diane James interview, I'm going to have to reschedule that one, unfortunately. But, of course, Eve Lorgan, I'll be there for that one. That's going to be a great interview. Don't miss that one, folks. My goodness, I've been looking forward to that one. And once again, thank you, Gary, and thank you, James Gesso, out there for being a guest on the program. I, I enjoyed both of you very much. Those were some um, fabulous discussions, and, of course, I'm, I've been holding on very tight to my seat here and now I could, I could finally, um, relax a little bit and, um, stare at the wall some more here. I have been having a great time enjoying this program and I hope all of you have been enjoying this program very much. And remember, if you do have any funny impersonations of myself or other guests you've listened to on this program, please feel free to send those in. Those are always good. I'm always amazed by your talent out there. And, of course, keep tuning in live every Saturday night at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, right here at endofdaysradio.org. And on TuneIn, please search End of Days. And once again, I apologize for those who were trying to use Skype to call in. I'm not even using Skype myself. It's It's been... it's been of a, a weird thing tonight. It hasn't been behaving whatsoever. So I, I used something else tonight and it, and it worked fine. I'm going to have to go back and, and see what's going on with Skype here. So once again, thank you all who listen to this live and thank you to those who listen to the podcast version of this show. I'll get this one up as soon as I can. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. Like, you can see it. It's clear. <laughs>
How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Hogan right now. It's crazy. I had no idea this shit existed before 726. Oh, a granny. I like granny. I'm gonna be real. A lot of good content. A lot of a lot of cool topics. You know, I, yeah, I feel you know fortunate to have an opportunity to speak to you guys tonight. Uh, you guys are you guys are really big. Yeah, Mr. Bruce. That's son of a bitch. I I like that man. It's the simplest shit. You go in there, you see the buzz, and then you say, "What the fuck do you have in your pocket? What the fuck are you gonna be smoking about midnight?" That's what I want. Just for what it's worth, I want to put in my two cents to tell you both that you have one of the most well-rounded. Yeah. Uh, Introducing the greatest tag team on the radio. Guess what, motherfucker? Successfully, victory.